This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, once again, as always, is the Poobah prognostication, the connoisseur of conjecture, the prima donna of prophecy, the IPP MVP, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. I don't know if those are new names. Like, are you, are you throwing in some new ones there, or do I just not remember week to week? You just have so many coming at me. I, I, I proudly... Bear all of those titles, though. Thank you for bestowing them upon me. You deserve some, too. Okay, well, throw a name at me next time. But we got to get started, Brian. We have no time for chit-chat. I don't normally... We'll spend 5, 10, 30 minutes just chatting <laughs> about our day, talking about what's up. Can't this week. So much news to get to in the world of fantasy hockey. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. We are going to try to share as much as we can about all the players who are injured and outjured on hot streaks, on cold streaks, line changes. It's all coming at you over these next couple of hours. Before we get started, let's, of course, mention that we are presented by the best fantasy hockey website out there, which is DauberHockey.com, your favorite source of course, it's my favorite source. I assume it should be your favorite source. If it's not, it should be for fantasy hockey news, like articles, ramblings every day with recaps of the previous day. You've got your tools. I love prepping the shows now with the updated frozen tools section. It's so easy. You've got player profiles. You, you've got like teams and you like just everything's there. It's like line combinations from the previous game. You can also get starting goalies over at goalie post. I subscribe to get an email every single time a starting goalie is announced from goalie post. So I've never caught off guard if something wonky is going on. Check it out, dauberhockey.com. Okay, Brian, with that, let's get started. And I want to start with outjuries. Last week, we started with a bunch of players on cold streaks. We'll get to that, unfortunately. But I want to start with some happy news. And let's talk about, I think, the happiest news from the past week, which is that Corey Crawford finally returned for Chicago on Thursday after being out of action since, like, early last season with the head issues. And, like, you know, we didn't even know if he was going to come back at all this season. I actually feel pretty dumb for not having drafted him in any leagues and stashing him in IR because he's back. He's looking good, okay? He wasn't the best of outings for him in his first game back versus Arizona on Thursday. He led him three goals on 30 shots and a 4-1 loss. But then yesterday, he was spectacular. He stopped 37 of 38 in a 4-1 win over Columbus. Brian, at this point, like how far off were we in our goalie tiers, in Schmore goalies board, when we were talking about Corey Crawford? We had him in tier six with Luongo and Varlamov and Schneider. By the way, Varlamov's been good. Luongo and 
Schneider injured. So maybe we got those. I don't know. But like, should maybe Crawford at this point be as high as like tier two, where we had guys like Flurry and Matt Murray and Gibson? Like, it seems like this Chicago team can score some goals. And if they can keep this up and Crawford could be a, you know, 920 plus save percentage goalie, potentially we might have a playoff contender on our hands in these Chicago Blackhawks. They're four, one and two to start the season at this point. Okay, so I don't think we were so far off on Corey Crawford. Like, I don't think you need to feel so bad about not drafting him. Let's just review why we had him in Tier 6, where we did with guys like Luongo, Varlamov, and Schneider. Uh, We had Crawford there because, you know, we acknowledged he was a better goalie than those three guys I just mentioned. Uh, But we also figured he could miss as many starts or more starts than that entire group as well. His health situation was so cloudy. And actually, I still feel... Like, it's murky. He's missed a ton of time. And I'm not going to want to put much more stock in Crawford staying healthy than anybody else in Tier 6, in that group of goalies. So he compared to Luongo, Varlamov, and Schneider in several health and games played related ways. Of course, he could stay healthy all year. And he could finish out the season without missing any games due to injury. We can say the same thing for the other three. I just don't know if, uh, if if he's any more likely to do it than those guys. And then we also had Crawford's own individual talent being better than those guys, but having his team's quality being below. So those two factors sort of washed Crawford out to be right with that tier six group. And I still don't really have any regrets about that, to be honest. Like we had no idea at the time if Crawford was going to be out for a day, a week, a month or longer. What else? were we supposed to do? All right, Brian, that's a fine. We don't need, I, I didn't mean to like put put us on blast for this. I'm just trying to get into a conversation about how good is Corey Crawford, assuming okay. he's healthy, and okay. the Chicago team, maybe we were wrong. Like this team is scoring a ton of goals. But come on, he can't be... He can't be a tier two goalie with that Chicago team in front of him that you think is a playoff contender now. I'm not sure that they are though. Uh, had Crawford been healthy to start the year, maybe... I would have been happy to to put him amongst like the tier four group, Ranta, Allen, Mike Smith. But again, uh, Chicago isn't really expected to be better than any of the teams that those goalies play for. Although uh, Crawford is expected to be better than those goalies. So that could put Crawford in tier four. But I guess your question is, Elon, that you're so desperate to have me answer. Um, why like, could Chicago possibly keep this up? Which is why you're saying he belongs in tier two with Matt Murray, like as good as the Penguins? Come on. Like, ah. I will allow, I will allow that Chicago has been better than we thought they would be. With that bare bones depth at both forward and defense, Chicago has managed to rank in the top 10 and score adjusted share of even strength shot attempts so far this year, which is a pretty impressive feat. Uh, Chicago's PDO also remains pretty balanced. They're not getting any uh, unreasonable amounts of luck. There are a couple flags for concern that remain with the team's performance so far. Chicago ranks 27th in the league and expected goals for percentage at even strength. In fairness, though, Washington, Pittsburgh, and Winnipeg are also down around that area, and we wouldn't beat them up too much for it, so maybe we shouldn't beat up Chicago for being there either. And my other flag is that three of Chicago's four wins have come in overtime, but two of the three losses have also come in overtime. So it seems like a reasonably fair distribution of overtime wins and losses. If it's somewhere around like an even split, then I guess that's sort of okay. We can't really begrudge them for it. So I don't know, even with these flags, I'm saying they're not huge flags. Uh, Chicago's better than we thought, but I still... Like, I don't have much hard data except for looking at their roster and saying, really? 
these guys, <laughs> these guys are going to be as good as some of the best teams in the league. Like, I can't see it happening. Like, top 15, ah, you know, it, it's that still feels far off. We I, had them, or at least I had them, in the bottom 10 of the league, and I'm still having a hard time moving them far up above, say, 20th in, like, in the entire NHL. Again, based on their roster. And, and another impressive part about all this is that they're doing it all with no contributions from Brandon's side. Good for them. Yeah, like, I don't know. I feel like you're kind of cutting down a straw man here, right? Like, I, I'm not saying that Corey Crawford and the Chicago Blackhawks are going to, like, I'm not saying Chicago's going to win as many games as Pittsburgh. All I said was that Chicago's looking like they could be a playoff contender, which means you don't have to be much better than a top 16 team, right, by definition. And Crawford, if he could put up great numbers, sometimes that makes a goalie better. Last year, going into the season, remember we had Carey Price in Tier 1. It's not because we thought Montreal was going to be such an amazing team. And it doesn't matter. This is semantics. It sounds like you're saying that you don't think Chicago's going to keep these wins up so you would like if you had Corey Crawford right now it sounds like you're saying you would sell high try to get a better goalie you would trade Corey Crawford for Matt Murray right now and we'll get to Matt Murray we'll get to Matt Murray yeah we'll get to Matt Murray and the reasons why you might not want to trade for Matt why you might not want to trade yeah why you might not want to trade for Matt Murray but uh yes we'll get to that it's a tough one because I I want the guy who's playing for the better team and I guess I just I have trust issues with Chicago at this point Okay, that's fair. So we'll keep a watch, but great news for the Blackhawks to have Crawford back, and he seems to be in great shape. We'll see if his health can obviously hold up. Uh, we've already talked about a bunch of Hawks players over the past couple of weeks. That's what happens when a team's doing really well. We talk about them about keeping Carlson. We've also talked a lot about their defensemen, but there's actually one guy we haven't talked about yet that I'm wondering now if maybe he could actually be the most valuable defenseman fantasy-wise on the Blackhawks. And I'm not talking about Duncan Keith. I'm not talking about Yoki Haru. I'm talking about Eric Gustafsson. Like, he's pretty good. I I actually liked him in our almanac over the summer when we were uh, going over all of the teams. And we talked about the Chicago defense. And we pointed out that Gustafsson had 15 points in 34 games last season. And that's a respectable 36-point pace. That's not bad for a defenseman. He's already up to one goal and three assists in seven games so far this year. Chicago's playing today, so we don't know what's going to happen there. But yeah, he's getting around a similar amount of power play time as like Keith and Yoki Haru. Like, Yoki Haru's been on that top power play. But at the same time, they've been going pretty even split. My gut kind of says at the end of the season that Gustafsson will be the leading point getter for defensemen on the team with, I don't know, like 45. Is that like too crazy? Am I being too outlandish here? I feel like this guy is at least worth owning in fantasy. He's doing pretty well. Gustafsson seems like a good, calm middle ground between the upsides and downsides of other Chicago defenders like Yoki Haru and Duncan Keith, who aren't offering a whole lot more than Gustafsson is, despite their generally better deployment. I like that Gustafsson is putting up a half point per game, along with a couple shots on goal and a couple blocks per night on average. And this is without that high-end power play deployment. So there's less concern of him suddenly falling off of this you know, production because, well, he's not getting any gifts given to him with where he slots into the lineup. It's a stretch still to say that he's going to be the leading point getter with the upside that Duncan Keith and Yogi Haru both have. I still think their upside is higher, but Gustafsson's like the nice, quiet, even keel, depth defenseman kind of look. Yeah, I mean, another thing I like about him is he's just getting like a lot of ice time just in general. Like it seems like Chicago likes to trot him out and hey, the more you play, the more chances you have for points. He's been getting like 23, 21, you know, minutes per game. But we'll have to watch this. Definitely don't forget about him. Chicago has four games next week. So if you need a defenseman and already like Keith and Yoki Haru are taken, then in that kind of league, maybe you want to take a look at Eric Gustafsson. Okay, let's go to a couple more goalie outjuries to cover from the last week. It was a nice week for goaltenders after that terrible first week where a bunch of guys went down. So Jonathan Quick returned from his lower body injury on Thursday. He's 
definitely not had as glorious a return as Corey Crawford did. He was pulled on Thursday after letting in six goals on 29 shots in a 7-2 massacre by the Islanders. Then yesterday he was bad again. He stopped only 21 of 25 in a 5-1 loss to the Sabres. LA is now 2-5-1 on the season. Their leading scorer is Alex Ayafalo somehow. Andre Kopitar has only two goals, no assists in seven games. They keep shaking up their lines. They just recently swapped Kovalchuk to play with Jeff Carter and a guy named Sheldon Rempel. And Tyler Toffoli's been playing with Kopitar and Ayafalo. Like, I'm saying all this just to ask, is this team, like, maybe not that good? Is the LA, is LA the team that we thought Chicago would be? Well, Chicago is the team we thought LA would be. Like, I thought LA would be, you know, a playoff contender, probably get in. At this point, I feel like LA, I don't know, I'm a little concerned about them. And as such, I'm concerned about Jonathan Quick. I'm concerned about Andre Kopitar. There are some really legitimate reasons to be concerned about the Los Angeles Kings at this point of the season. They have some apparently very serious problems to work out. They're towards the bottom where I'd have expected Chicago to be in score-adjusted shot attempt share at even strength. And when I say score-adjusted, I guess this is a good time to just explain. When I say score-adjusted, I'm saying that uh, these... Oh, well, I guess first, shot attempt share is what percentage of shots a team is getting for them rather than against them on the ice. So if you have a 51% shot attempt share, that means uh, while your team is on the ice, and these numbers are at even strength, uh, 51% of the shots are for you, 49% are against you. When we add the score-adjusted modifier, that takes into account the differences of score effects. So a score effect is when, uh, you know, a team that's winning 3-0, they might not be pressing quite as hard. They might decide to change their strategy, not take as many shots or attempt as many shots on net. So this score-adjusted shot attempt share tries to take that into account so that a team, you know, who's generally ahead in their matchups Uh, isn't penalized for being ahead in their matchups and doesn't look like a worse team in winning shot attempt battles. So, oh, and you can get those numbers at puckon.net. All right, back to LA. Uh, They are towards the bottom, where I've expected Chicago to be, and score adjusted shot attempt shared even strength. And you look for solutions and wonder if the Kings even have them on their roster at the moment. Alec Martinez is struggling this year uh, a little unexpectedly. Dion Phaneuf struggling a little more so expectedly. Uh, They're both looking pretty bad on the back end on what's been uh, kind of exposed as a thin decor behind Drew Doughty and Jake Muzzin. And a massive signal of LA's struggles are the shot attempt shares of one Anze Kopitar. Kopitar is usually one of the most reliable shot attempt tilters in the league, but he's in a bad way to start 2018-19. He's presently seeing just 45% of the shot attempts in his favor while he's on the ice. And keep in mind, he has never finished a season below a 50% share of shot attempts since his 2007-2008 rookie season. And I don't know if it's too early, but if you want to start ringing some alarm bells on Kopitar, this season for him was preceded by four or five years of consecutive declines in his on-ice shot attempt rates and shot attempt shares so far, we're seeing that trend of decline continue for Kopitar. Kopitar is down about 10 shot attempts per 60 from last year, and that's a pretty significant drop if he does not correct it. It could also be some silly early season business with the Kings trying some new stuff and working new, like, things happen over the first 5, 10, even 15 games of the season. And I do still have faith in Kopitar to figure out what he might be able to do to figure things out. Uh, it may be a legit point, though. If you are a Kopitar owner, 
uh, you might want to find someone who wants to buy low on him and is willing to pay a, a reasonable price who really believes that he's going to get 80 points and you can try and get out from under Kopitar uh, just in case you don't want to be along for the ride while he continues to struggle with LA and Jeff Carter as another bellwether for what the Kings can be expected to do. He also shows some struggle in uh, compared to previous years in his ability to win shot attempt battles and get pucks on net. So we're going to be watching this closely. One thing to watch Elon to say, like, how can the Kings turn this around aside from system changes and finding the right lines and chemistry, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Dustin Brown's finger is healing. He's practicing again in a non-contact jersey of the things that could help LA get this ship righted somewhat. Uh, Dustin Brown's return could be one of those things. It's a weird thing to say, but the Kings, Maybe could really use Dustin Brown. Yeah, I know. Like, you know that you're not in a good spot when you're banking on Dustin Brown to be your savior and help turn your season around. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, we were talking about goalies and, and Crawford. Elon, you advocated a lot. Like, every episode of The Almanac, every chapter, you were like, Brian, I think we've got quick wrong. Like, we need to move him up. So you were advocating a whole lot to push him up our goalie tiers. He landed in our third tier, uh, three tiers ahead of Crawford. So do you think he belongs like more of a tier six guy? Well, I mean, a lot of it depends on your answer to this question. Like uh, the reason why I wanted him high is because on LA, like I said, I thought they were a good team. I thought this was a playoff team and he was going to be a starting goalie on a good team. If they're not a good team, that changes everything. And that's why I'm concerned. Like as of now, I wouldn't like, I don't know. Like the thing is like, oftentimes when we have these star players struggling to start the season, we're saying on the podcast, Hey, try to buy low on these guys, get Kopitar for cheap, get quick for cheap. We just got a question in our chat room here. Matthew's asking, so do you try and sell Kopitar now or wait until he goes on a run? I feel like generally we say, yeah, get him now for super cheap. But at this point, it sounds like you're giving some reasons to think that maybe these guys might not do as well this year as we were hoping if the team is not as good. And in that case, maybe you like, you like you said, like maybe just get rid of the player now while he saw his name value you could get a lot for him. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not as high on Jonathan quick right now as before. That's for sure. You're a brilliant yeah. genius, Brian. Like, I know that's what you want me to say. It's true. No, no, that's not what I'm saying because my point was less about LA's team quality and more about quicks uh, individual talent yeah. level. And this not- is, uh, this is where we're seeing LA's team quality suffer. Although I still didn't think they were quite as good a team as you did anyway. Like who could have known, right? Yeah, that's okay. It's, it's only a couple weeks into the season. We're not going to we start. Yeah, we're not going to start writing. Uh, what's the word when someone dies? Then you write the moratorium. The obituary. Yeah, we're not gonna, Yeah, we're not going to be writing the uh, eulogy for our bad predictions about the LA Kings just yet. But the requiem. Yeah. But on the, the plus elegy. side, how about this, Alex Ayafalo? He's doing pretty good. He assisted on the only goal yesterday scored by the Kings by Drew Doughty. Uh, he's up to seven points in eight games. We're talking about Aya Follow here. He's on the top power play yesterday with Carter, Kopitar, Kovalchuk, and Doughty, which seems like a really good power play to be on. I feel like of all the players on the Kings, the one guy I'd recommend to maybe pick up or or, or hold if you have him is Alex Ayafalo. Like, of course, like you said, Dustin Brown's going to be back at some point, maybe even in the next couple of weeks. And at that point, he might get bumped from the top line or off the top power play. But for now, here's a guy who might actually be a useful stream, especially if you think that Kopitar is going to pick things up and Ayafalo is going to be right there with him on both even strength and on the power play. So Ayafalo's 80% IPP doesn't look quite right, nor does a power play on ice shooting percentage that indicates a third of all shots taken by Ayafalo and his teammates are going in while he's on the ice. Ayafalo also has yet to actually register a power play shot on goal, 
albeit he's been limited to six and a half minutes of total time with the man advantage. And his shot and shot attempt numbers aren't any better than last year's. I know your argument a couple weeks ago was that, like, this guy's growing. He's young. We haven't seen enough of him. And I'm still staking my claim that we, like, he's he's in his mid-20s. We, uh, like, there's no secret talent here. Uh, so I'm remaining cool to Ayafalo long-term. But sure, I mean, he probably stands out as a stream option in a lot of deeper leagues with the run he's had. Yeah, like I'm not saying he's going to keep up the seven points in eight games and end the season with 70 plus points. But keep him in mind, you know, as per like with every episode of Keeping Carlson, we're going to talk about some players who are on cold streaks. We're going to talk about some players who might be good streams. And Alex Iafalo might be the kind of guy that you plug into your lineup, at least until something changes with this deployment. You can't get much better than the top line and top power play. Maybe you can get better by being on a different team. But on LA, you can't get much better. I guess also Tyler Toffoli, like I said, has been on the top line, but he's probably owned in a lot of leagues. Okay, one more goalie who returned. He wasn't out for too long, but Matt Murray finally got back in the net versus the Leafs last Thursday after missing three games, you know, after he had that concussion in practice. Kind of a scary team to go up against after a bad first two games and then an injury. But since hockey is the most unpredictable sport out there, and by the way, I would say one of the reasons why it's also one of the most awesome sports out there to watch. You never know what's going to happen. It's not like you're playing against LeBron James and you know the team's going to lose before the game even starts. Anyway, Toronto oh, person LeBron's here. in LA now, and that's not necessarily the case. Okay, good point. But I just remember last year with the Raptors. Blah. All I'm saying is that because hockey's so unpredictable, Matt Murray, somehow, after the, like, you would have thought that was, like, a terrible game for him to get back in. He pulled off a 38-save shutout over the Toronto Maple Leafs, who were scoring, like, eight goals a game. Man, how many people had Matt Murray on their bench for that game? I'll bet it's a non-zero number. So now, like, it's a really interesting time to be a Matt Murray owner. Like, while he was injured, Casey DeSmith came in, and he was solid. And if Murray had struggled against the Leafs, we'd be having a very different conversation right now. I feel like we'd be, I'd be asking, like, maybe is Murray and DeSmith, are they going to split time? Like, we talked about them last week, and you said that maybe we should be concerned about Casey DeSmith. And now he's had this one good game, and so now I'm sure everyone's really excited about Matt Murray. But maybe now's a good time. Like, if we were concerned before, I wouldn't let one game change my mind. So maybe now's a good time to try to get out of this Matt Murray thing, sell high, get a really good goalie back, maybe get Corey Crawford, though maybe you wouldn't want to do that, but, you know, get some good goalie that you could be more confident in because right now he's riding high. I wonder if his value is higher now than it will be like for the rest of the season. I don't know. All right. So looking at the Pittsburgh goaltending situation, the Penguins boast the sixth highest expected goals against per 60 rate at the moment. That's a bad thing. That means they rank 26th in the league in protecting their goalie. And that's something that has not helped Murray find success at all. And to complicate things, when you compare Murray and DeSmith, Pittsburgh has played significantly better defense in front of DeSmith than they have Murray so far this year. Unfortunately for Murray, though, uh, he's also still done worse than we'd have expected, even allowing for the difficulty of his workload. There's, of course, still like this general question mark around Murray's ability. We still don't think, or at least I don't think, I'm not convinced at all that he's much better than an average NHL goalie in the regular season. Uh, Over the last three years, his expected save percentage and his actual save percentage are pretty close. And that just means that they, they essentially describe a guy who's playing about as well as an average NHL goalie would have given his workload. And then uh, you have DeSmith who's played well. And like at the very least, that makes it a little harder to consider Murray as the guy, the guy who's likely to get a number one workhorse type workload. So selling high, like to to go back to your question about what to do with Matt Murray if you own him, if you want to sell him high, it always depends on what you can get back. I mean, I'd happily consider trading Matt Murray for a different tier two goalie or quote unquote downgrade to a tier three goalie and try to get a forward upgrade along with it. Like if you were hoping that Matt Murray would be your horse this just might not be the case. 
So uh, you might want to try and get out from under that uh, like expectation if you're going to own him. And if you want a horse or if you're just like, I don't, I don't need this guy. If someone else thinks he can be their horse, uh, then you can see what you can net for him on the trade market. He is not the sort of must-own top-tier fantasy option that we hoped he'd be, uh, at least at this point in his career. Yeah, and when you say he's not, like, you mean, like, we don't know for sure that he is. Like, it's, he could be. Like, yeah. Victor's a good team, and he's still a young guy, and he has shown stretches of really strong play. But just right now, just might, I'm saying might be a good time if you want to offload him and get someone more reliable. But at the same time, I'm definitely, as a Matt Murray owner, that, I don't know, I, I doubt I'll be able to trade him. I, I'm talking about in the couple to keep him Carlson Ultimate Patriot Fantasy League, Tier 2, a bunch of brilliant people in my division. I'm not exactly going to be able to be trading Matt Murray for, like, a John Gibson at this point. So I'm holding him. I'm happy about that shout-out. Hopefully he can keep it up. Help me win my, hopefully it looks like I'm going to win my matchup this week against Ben. Sorry about that, Ben. Uh, like LA, Pittsburgh has been shifting up their lines quite a bit. They were going with Crosby, Gensel, and Brian Rust in the last game. Then Malkin with Kessel and Haglin. Uh, Matt Cullen, still in the league. Somehow, okay, with Horkvist and Riley Sheehan. And then Derek Broussard, Dominic Simone, Daniel Sprong. Those have been the lines. At least that's what they ran versus the Leafs. Of course, they got, uh, and they had a good game, right? So they're probably going to keep that going for at least a little longer. One player we've had a bunch of questions about lately is Patrick Horkvist, who, like I said, is on, like, I guess the third or fourth line playing with Cullen and Sheehan. He's off to a brutal start. Only one assist in the six games he's played so far. He's still on this amazing Pittsburgh top power play, but not in a great position to score an even strength at the start of the year. He was on the top line with Crosby and Gensel. That quickly changed. Brian, we own Patrick Horkvist in our joint league. It's a bangers league. You get some points for hits. You get some points for uh, blocks, which he doesn't do that much of. Not actually that many points for shots. Like, I don't know. Do you think we should be considering cutting bait on him if he doesn't do something soon? Or are you willing to give him a long leash, at least for as long as he remains on that top power play? He had 49 points in 70 games last season, which was good for a 57-point pace. Can we expect him to at least come close to approaching that? Or are we seeing that potentially Patrick Horkvist is about to slow down? That top power play time is a a real carrot being dangled in front of fantasy owners uh, to get them to keep him on their roster. So far, Hornquist has no goals on 15 shots, has seen a 5% on-ice shooting percentage. Many of Hornquist's other offensive indicators are holding steady. So I want to hold on to him. I'm not ready to cut bait uh, just a, a handful of games into the season. The sad thing, though, if you are planning to hold him, is that even if his offensive underliers are all okay and it's just a matter of time before the production comes, Hornquist's peripherals have actually dropped. He has fewer hits and fewer blocks per 60 minutes so far this year than he has in the past. So in bangers leagues where he has so much uh, extra value because of what he does and why like he's a great own even if he gets 55 points, uh, he's not really rewarding you with those hits and blocks while you wait for the offense to come around. And I understand how that makes it harder to hang on, but that's still what I would be doing with him. Yeah, I agree with you. I feel like you want to get rid of the guys who are for sure. Like, you know, first of all, if you drafted them late, then whatever. But like Harkness is someone a lot of people probably drafted mid-draft. You got to give them at least like a month. I don't know, like, you know, 10, 15 games. It's played six games. Pittsburgh has played like the fewest games of everyone. So I definitely would give him some more time. I'd love to see him back in the top six playing with either Crosby or Malkin. We'll see. You know, Pittsburgh shakes up their lines a lot. If, you know, we're a couple weeks from now and he's still playing in the bottom six and still not doing anything, then he might be the kind of player that you can consider streaming out 
even though he's on the top power play. Because even if he's there, you know, you could get like a point every couple games maybe there. Also, he's the guy in front of the net. Like, you know, it's not as if he's that spot on the power play where you're very likely to get a point as opposed to like maybe like the, the guy at the point who starts things off. Anyway, you know what I mean, Brian? Uh, maybe it would be useful to go to a Penguins game and see what Patrick Hornquist is doing there. I guess, of course, you can watch it on TV as well, but it's a lot more fun to see it live. And that's why I think you should check out one of our sponsors for this week's episode, which are our friends over at SeatGeek. Because getting tickets online can be far too complicated. If you want to go see Patrick Hornquist, what are you going to do? Like search for a million websites and try to find the best deal? Nah, don't do that. There's like a hundred of sites, varying levels of reliability, hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place. You can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person. And SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I had some friends by visiting over the weekend. And we were thinking of different things to do. I just took out my SeatGeek app. And I was searching what's going on in Toronto. You get to see all the different values. Kind of wanted to see this play come from away. But it's really expensive. Even with SeatGeek, they're still pretty expensive and sold out <laughs> a lot of the nights. But still, you know, you could check it out. Toronto, I'm saying, Brian, are you a big fan of... Oh, there's someone here I wanted to ask you about. What Scott, Travis Scott. You know that guy? He's a rapper. He's very, he's very popular. It's a big show coming to Toronto. You could get it for like less than 150 bucks on SeatGeek. Anyway, Brian, if you want to check it out, our listeners have a way to get an even bigger discount than the already nice value they're getting. Why don't you tell them how? Yeah, if you want to go see Travis Scott in Toronto or perhaps a hockey game, all you need to do is, uh, well, first off, know that you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code KEEPING, Try it today. That's promo code keeping and you will get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase, giving you an even better deal than SeatGeek already offers you. Wow. Wow. Okay. Oh, yeah. Jets versus the Leafs on October 27th. That would be a fun game. I'd love to see Patrick Line. That's got to be sold out right now. Nah, get ticket. At what point does this turn into a live stream of Elon just scrolling through the SeatGeek app on his phone? It's fun. It's addictive. Okay. So let's move on. Brian, don't you have to say the slogan? Don't they have a really fun slogan we like to say? Life's an event. We have the tickets. Yeah, and again, it's not they us. They have the tickets. A few people were asking us for their tickets last week. We don't have it. They emailed you right away. Just check your email. It's in your inbox. Okay, next, let's talk about the Anaheim Ducks. Our next outjury is Ryan Getzlaff. He returned from his groin injury yesterday for the 3-1 loss to Vegas. He assisted on the only goal of the game by the Ducks. He had two shots, two hits, or sorry, six hits, two blocks. Getzlaff's amazing. Like He's so underrated because he's so great with the, with the peripherals, and he gets points. He's Now he's only played three games on the season, three points. He's awesome. Hopefully he can stay healthy. I'm hoping so much. Someone else is probably hoping, by the way, is Ricard Raquel because he hasn't been doing very much with Getzlaff out. He was playing with Raquel and a guy named Isaac Lundestrom <laughs> yesterday. Never heard of him before, Brian. You can tell us who he is. Troy Terry was sent down. He was the one we were excited about potentially playing with Getzlaff and Raquel at the start of the season. He's gone. Bye-bye for now. Raquel was pointless again yesterday. Not even a shot on goal. He wasn't even on the top power play which is weird i'm not even going to get into that because i'm sure that must be an anomaly that's going to change but yeah the top power play yesterday was gets off henrique kessler cogliano and fowler cogliano really and then you wonder why you lost three to one to vegas anyway after his one goal two assist outing against san jose to start the season raquel only has one assist in seven games since then brian what is going on with ricard raquel this guy to me seems like a clear buy low candidate i feel like i want to say forget about all those games when Getzlaff was out he's going to be playing with Getzlaff, and he's going to be great right yeah, Raquel is such a great buy-low candidate. And I'm hesitant to say that because he was someone that I was chasing uh, in a in a trade offer that I made after, after the draft to cook up full Sweden owner Ricard. And like, I could really just, you know, play a con here and say Raquel's over. Like, forget about him to try and... Like, now I'm definitely not going to get him in a trade, although Ricard is smart. Anyway, uh, 
Raquel has just a 2% on ice shooting percentage. Only a single goal has been scored by Anaheim in the 115 five-on-five minutes that Ricard Raquel has been on the ice so far. He's personally 0 for 12 in goals for shots. And is one at even strength, and he's one out of 18 when you count his power play shots on goal. And Raquel's a guy who's averaged above 15% shooting percentage in his career. So those goal scoring numbers, they're going to come. One stat that I hope will also come with gets left back is Raquel's shot and shot attempt rates. And I'm his dead last in the league at even strength, score adjusted, shot attempt share. They're 29th in even strength shot attempts per 60 minutes. So that's a problem that runs deep with Anaheim, and it's not Raquel's to solve alone and can probably be attributed to all the injuries that Anaheim is having happen to their roster. It's been decimated, and also perhaps having Adam Henrique as their second-line center. But with players returning, Anaheim is hopefully going to be getting at least back up to a respectable team number in shot attempt share and shot attempts per 60 minutes rather than a downright embarrassing one, which should help get... Ricky Rack's going, even without that uh, extra rise, though, that we expect for Anaheim to, to be able to manage in shot attempts. I expect Raquel is still going to get within spitting distance of continuing the 70-plus point pace he posted last season. He's just a guy I have a ton of faith in. Yeah, of all the people who have like one or two points in the past couple of weeks, Raquel's the one I'd probably want the most. Like, I don't know, you'd have to give me the list, but I have no concerns about him. Brian, who's this guy, Isaac Lundestrom? Is he worth considering or should we expect a shakeup after this recent loss? Maybe he doesn't even stay on the top line come next game. Like, keep in mind also, like you said, like the Ducks are the Ducks. Like, they actually got Getzlaff back, which was great, but they lost Silverberg to a fractured fingertip. Like, what are these injuries? Poor Anaheim can't catch a break. Shouldn't be long term. So you'd expect Silverberg to come back soon. Maybe that means that Lundestrom gets sent back down to the minors. Also, Nick Ritchie just signed a contract, so he's going to be joining the team soon. Hopefully, Andre Kasha recovers at some point. So I feel like it's an easy answer to say, don't bank on Isaac Lundestrom. But, you know, hey, if, if he's still there and there's a game of daily fantasy that you're going to play like on FanDuel or something, maybe you could add him for just that day for like a $3,000 budget. Yeah, maybe. If he's playing on the top line, he could be worthwhile. He was uh, Lundestrom was Anaheim's first rounder at this summer's draft, drafted, I think, 23rd overall. Uh, he's a left-shooting Swede. Uh, he only turns 19 in a couple weeks from now, so he's presently 18 in 87 games over two seasons with Lulea of the Swedish Hockey League. Uh, Lundestrom didn't do a whole lot offensively, but he did apparently convince a lot of people that he was a smart capable two-way player. And thanks to Dobber Prospects for a couple scouting reports I found there. I imagine that Lundestrom is just a short-term solution to all the holes in Anaheim's lineup. And I wouldn't be jumping at him. Like there's a chance he might not even be in the lineup period before his nine-game audition is over. Yeah, I, I didn't even mention Patrick Eves, who might come back at some point. This poor team. Uh, Ryan Kessler. List. Richie, Getzlaff, Silverberg, Eves, Kasha, Corey Perry, all out. Oh yeah, Corey Perry. I forgot about him too. Well, Getzlaff's back. So he's not on the list anymore. Okay. Okay, Ryan Kessler has now been back for five games. He has three goals and one assist. Not bad. Nothing yesterday. And with Getzlaff back, he was playing with Cogliano and a guy named Kiefer Sherwood, though Kessler was on the top power play, which is good. Kessler was getting added in a bunch of leagues after his two-goal performance versus the Islanders on Wednesday. Do you think he's worth adding or holding for a bit if you added him, or do you expect him to have, like, hit his peak already, and now with Getzlaff back, his ceiling is gone? Like, the power play one might be tough for him to hold once Raquel, like, gets back there and Silverberg returns. Those are two guys who could easily knock him off. Though, you know, a couple of years ago, Kessler was a fixture on the top power play, and he was so great. He had, like, 50 points but you know it's a couple years later but he seems to be recovered from his injury doing well it's nice for now i have him i added him in the couple i'm planning on holding him at least for next week and see how he does 
Yeah, I think that's the short-term strategy with Kessler. It's really hard to project. I, I, we just named all the players that are injured. Uh, Anaheim's running a really bare-bones lineup. Uh, we have no idea what it's going to look like as those guys trickle back into the lineup. Uh, so you might as well have a short-term look at Kessler. He does have a 100% IPP, which means that every goal scored while he's been on the ice, he has had uh, he's either been the goal scorer or he's registered an assist on. He personally has three goals on 10 shots, so not going to keep scoring at that rate. Uh, what he's done is not sustainable at all. But so long as Anaheim has few other players to turn to, Kessler deserves, yeah, at least a streaming consideration. I wouldn't expect him to be a key piece for the Ducks once everyone is healthy, though. So if it's between him and someone who you're pretty sure is going to help you three or four weeks down the road, once whatever slump that they're currently in is over, I would wait out that slump instead of invest in Ryan Kessler. Yeah, I grabbed him. Two bucks fab. I guess worst comes to worst, I'll just drop him. But hey, Anaheim's playing tonight. Let's see how he does. Uh, okay, Brian, Brandon Montour, is he a snoozer at this point? Could people let go of him? He only has one goal. And that was in the first game of the season. It's now been eight games, nothing in the past seven. Montour is not getting the top power play time that we were expecting to carry over from the end of last season. If you recall, the Ducks were going with Fowler and Montour on the top power play, or sometimes even Montour was just there by himself. But it's been Cam Fowler being the lone D in that spot this whole season. Perhaps at this point, even Hampus Lindholm is a better own than Montour. He had a five-game point streak ended yesterday and is up to seven points in eight games. He's been on the second power play along with Montour. I'm talking about uh, Hampus Lindholm now. And he's also, Hampus has been picking up a bunch of blocks. He had five blocks yesterday. So I feel like in a standard league with multi-categories, at this point, it's really hard to justify holding on to Brandon Montour. And especially if someone like Hampus Lindholm is out there getting the same deployment and doing more with it. Yeah, so Hampus Lindholm is a guy who we know we can count on for peripherals, but his offensive upside is limited because he's just so far down the list in Anaheim for choices of players who can eventually take a turn on the top power play, where Brandon Montour, uh, his peripherals are up, but his power play deployment is down, and that's a bummer for anyone who drafted him to start the year expecting that he was going to get a promotion that would offer him those top power play responsibilities. Those haven't come. But still, if I'm choosing between him and Lindholm, the difference in their peripherals is not so great that I would rather Lindholm and his less chance of getting on to the top power play unit over Montour, who still seems to at least have a place in line. Maybe he's just second in line instead of first which by now uh, some people were hoping would be the case. Yeah, I'm going to respectfully disagree here. Like Lindholm actually had a higher points per game pace than Montour last year. And we were saying, oh, well, Montour, you know, he's still getting used to the league or whatever. He's eventually going to be this guy. But maybe we've got like uh, Aaron Eckblad or something. You know, like it's like a guy that maybe he's just not going to reach that offensive potential. Like Hampus Lindholm isn't only solid for peripherals. Like I said, he's got seven points in eight games. Like he's getting points. He knows how to contribute to goals. So yeah, I'd rather have Hampus Lindholm, especially since he also has the better peripherals. For me, it's kind of an easy choice. But I guess for you, you're, you're holding on to Montour a little longer. I guess in a yeah. week from now, in a week from now, we'll do another episode. And if Montour still doesn't have an, a point, then I'll ask you again if people should hold on to Brandon Montour. I mean, Lindholm is a, like, if you want a 30 point defenseman with peripherals, go get Lindholm, right? It, it's just a matter of upside and downside. And I can't envision a league where there isn't a better defenseman available than Hampus Lindholm. Like, like if you want to score, like Elon, I get what you're saying, uh, a guy who gets you enough peripherals and 30 points can be pretty valuable in a bangers form. And if that's your case, great. But if you're still looking for some offensive upside that stands out from the likely offensive upside of the rest of your free agent pool, Brandon Montour still stands there for me. 
Okay, just to, just to point out, just in case, not right now, maybe at some point you might need to take another look and update your perception of Hampus Lindholm. Last year, you're calling him a 30-point guy. He had 31 points in 69 games last year, which is closer to his 37-point pace. And this year, again, like I said, seven points in eight games going into today. The year before, 20 points in 66 games. The year before, 28 in 80. The year before, 34 yeah. in 78. Like, I'll upgrade to 35, but you're not bringing me any higher just because he scored twice on 13 shots so far this year. Okay, well, let's just keep him down. And well, you know, I just want to make sure everyone knows all the information. I'm not trying to say that you're wrong. Just uh, let's keep on going forward. But keep your eye on. I'd be adding. Take a look at Hampus Lindholm. If he's available in your free agency, I think I'd add him for now. Ride the hot streak, at least. Okay. If you if you're the counts blocks, let's go to some injuries now. Get out of these injuries. Pecorine is the big name that maybe even a lot of people are thinking we should have started the show with. He left Friday's game versus Calgary with an undisclosed injury. Was placed on the IR yesterday, so he's out for at least the next couple of games, maybe more. Who knows? We don't really know what's wrong with him yet. Tough break. He's come out super strong this year in his quest for back-to-back Vesna trophies. He has a 929 save percentage in five games so far. Obviously, this is a huge opportunity for UC Saros to prove that he's up to the task of taking over the starting job. Like, you know, as like he he could potentially be the starting goalie next season if Rene doesn't re-sign with Nashville and they don't get someone else. So this is a big audition for Saros. And he had a nice start to it yesterday. 31 safe shutout over Connor McDavid, or sorry, I mean the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, not even a question that Saros is a must-add in every format right now, right? Like, and I don't want to hear, I don't want someone to be like, hey, I want to add Saros, but I don't like holding four goalies, or I don't like holding three goalies, so I don't have space. So should I drop this like actual starting goalie for Saros? Like, don't give me that. Like, add the fourth goal for now and drop a skater that you're going to be streaming anyways take that short-term hit of having more goalies than you like and wait and see at least until pecorine is injury prognosis comes back if, if you know if it turns out that rene is going to be out for a couple weeks i'm sure you could drop Saros. but if it turns out rene is going to be out for a couple months you'll be happy that you had dibs so i don't want any tweets telling me that you need to drop like tuka ras for uc Saros. okay anyways brian yeah. what do you think obvious own right yeah must add no doubt sacrifice your worst skater someone who compares the closest with the top free agents available and like elon said take the hit like it's gonna hurt for a week or two maybe while you carry too many goalies and are benching goalies who are like who are playing and you have to decide who's gonna win who's gonna lose Uh, but just take saros because the nashville starter is not someone who's really going to be available to you at any other point in the season, unless, of course, there's another injury, in which case you should do the same thing. Uh, Saros has looked great so far. So has Nashville. There's nothing not to like here. Yeah. Take him. If he's a free agent in your league, don't let that continue to be the case. Okay. Aside from Inets, everything's been pretty status quo for the Preds. I say for the most part, there's not too many interesting things to talk about, like Forsberg, Johansson, Arvidsson, Subban. They're all off to great starts. Ryan Ellis doing his thing, five assists in eight games. Uh, Kyle Turris and Craig Smith have both been solid on the second line. Even Kevin Fiala, who I know he was a big downer for a lot of people who thought he was going to be on the line one. He was doing nothing all year. He finally got a couple points on Friday, probably free agent fodder in most leagues. We've already talked about him. But Brian, I've got to say the one guy I'm pretty concerned about on Nashville is Roman Josie at this point. He only has three points in eight games. He scored yesterday for what it's worth. And if you recall, he only had four assists in 13 playoff games last year. And he's still been off the top power play. It doesn't seem like Subban's going to be relinquishing that spot anytime soon. So Brian, is it possible that Yozy will land below a 55-point pace this year for his first time since 2013-14? That, like, three points in eight games isn't very good, especially on a team that scored a lot of goals. Like, a lot of these players are at least at a point per game. And then you've got Yozy just doing nothing. So looking at the usual markers of variance, Yosi has a 33% IPP. It's even lower at five on five, which is uh, not characteristic for him. He also has a low on ice shooting percentage, but he's still notching three shots per game. So that makes him look like a buy low candidate to me, but it's a buy low bearing in mind that yes, 
Yosi is off the top power play and we don't know when he'll be back. And also by low bearing in mind that Yosi's peripherals have shrunken and they've shrunken uh, like this is the second time we saw them shrink. Uh, there was a pretty big drop uh, after 2015, 16. And now uh, I'm hoping that we're not seeing like another level of dropping in his ability to put up blocks. Like maybe this is just a temporary thing, but it's a thing to bring up with the current Roman Yosi owner. If you do try and negotiate a buy low deal, it's something that works in your favor saying that like I'm buying low on Yosi, who's on the second power play unit and isn't getting blocks but also prepare like when you actually do get Yosi, that that's still going to remain the case. Back to your 55-point pace question, Elon. It is absolutely possible that Yosi finishes below that pace if he does not reclaim that top power play quarterback spot. Yosi's been getting uh, between 16 and 24 power play points in each of the last four seasons from uh, spending most of the season on the top power play. And it's not a sure thing that Yosi can even get to the low end of that mark, like that range, get 16 power play points if he's working only exclusively on the second unit. So that would be a reason for him not getting back up to his 55 point pace. It really does hinge on his power play deployment. Yeah, Dave is saying in the chat room that Yosi's been off the top power play for a couple of years now. I know last year Subban took over. I'm pretty sure it was just last season that this happens. You could correct us if I'm wrong. Like, he's been great. And obviously, yeah, he's going to do better than three points every eight games. He's still taking a lot of shots, which I always love. But yeah, just of all the players scoring, it's just surprising to see him there. And also, I, I was a little bit concerned after also him being slow in the playoffs. But yeah, maybe he'll be down to like a 50-point guy instead of a 55, 60-point guy. Still really good. And also, this could completely turn around. But just something to keep your eye on. It doesn't sound like you're too, too concerned, though you're saying it's possible he'll be low. 55 on the other side and i'll also sorry i'll also just clarify that even though yosi has not been like the undisputed top power play guy for the last couple years he still had a greater than 50 percent share of his team's power play minutes which well now he's at 49 and a half percent which is a a small but notable drop from he was at 53 and a half percent last season 58 percent and generally higher in the seasons before that yeah, I guess if you've got someone like Kyle Turris, like, you know, you want to play the second power play a little bit. They're not one of these teams that rides the first, like, they're not like Washington or Pittsburgh, where they're playing their top power play unit, like, so, so much more than the other one. Okay, on the other side, by the way, we have Matthias Ekholm, who picked up two assists yesterday, and he's now up to seven points in eight games, pulling uh, Hampus Lindholm here. Well, actually, Hampus Lindholm just got an assist on a goal by Sam Steele, so he's now up to eight points in nine games. And yes, Brian, I know you're going to say Brandon Montour also got an assist, but hey, Hampus Lindholm got the first assist. And also, Hampus no, Lindholm- he got the second assist. Yeah, who did? Montour had the first assist, Lindholm the second. Well, whatever. Okay. I I was ready to like hold hands and sing Kumbaya saying, hey, both our our guys got a point there, but you wanted to compete and you lied to try and win. Uh, I'm not going to have to go. I closed the window now. Uh, But anyways, it's still eight points in nine games now for Hampus Lindholm. (laughs) You're still saying he's free agent worthy, but okay. Matthias Ekholm, who we're talking about now, like I said, seven points in eight games. Do you think he has a shot at beating the 34 points he put up last year? Or do you still expect him to land around there? Like, is there anything new to Matthias Ekholm that we're seeing this year that wasn't there before? No, Ekholm isn't attempting more shots than before. Uh, More are finding their way to the net, which is nice. Uh, Even so, he scored twice on 14 shots. And just like Hampus Lindholm, that's not something that a defenseman generally does. Uh, Ekholm's IPP is also high, so it's not a nice shooting percentage. I'll say I think that Ekholm could be a 40-point guy, but that's about where I'd cap him. 
Okay, and Saros shut out the Oilers yesterday, and maybe the Oilers could just blame being shut out because Ty Ratty was injured, right? That's why they weren't able to score a goal. But yeah, Ratty has been, is going to be out at least a couple of weeks. He has a mid-body muscle problem. He has two points in five games so far, so I'm sure his owners don't really mind this opportunity to stash him in IR rather than having to drop him outright. It's so hard to drop someone playing on the top line with McDavid, but yeah, he wasn't producing yet. Kyler Yamamoto got on the first line with McDavid. He got that first shot there to play with McDavid and RNH yesterday. Of course, no points since they were shut out. He only had two shots. Do you think that Yamamoto gets another shot when the Oilers play Pittsburgh on Tuesday? Or is this going to be the kind of thing where they're just going to keep swapping people around until someone gets it? Like I saw Roto World was like, Yamamoto's been playing on the top line and he's like, you know, you got to grab him in your league. But I feel like it's the kind of thing where he might not even be there for the next game. But if he's there, he's probably worth a shot, right? Last season, when he did get up there, Yamamoto, I was hopeful that he was going to get to stick there, and he never did. So I, I don't know if it's different this time around. We love his speed. We love his upside. And, you know, we loved it going into this year, knowing that he would need a bump in deployment to have an opportunity to prove himself. And here is, well, there was one. We'll see if it sticks. It, it was great timing. He did just scored his first ever NHL goal in the previous game on a gorgeous top shelf wrister. The only thing I wonder is, yeah, like is he a must add without knowing where he slots into the lineup in the next game? You know, there's also Jesse Pugliarvi, who I'm eager to see what he could do with great deployment. I, I wonder how eager Edmonton is. Yeah, and I know, Brian, you sent you shared this hot take on the Facebook group that you think that maybe Ryan Nugent Hopkins might come off the top line at some point. You yeah. scared me there. I don't like that. Well, okay. Well, now you just scared everybody else. Uh, but I guess I will like explain. So like there, there really seems to be some distress in Oilers land, as there should be, with Edmonton being shut out at home by a quote unquote backup goalie. Uh, you know, there should be distress when you do have Connor McDavid and you're ranked 28th in goals scored per game. And so being where they are, I wonder if we may be on the cusp of our first big line combo shakeup of the year in Edmonton. The others don't seem to know what to do with Drysaddle either, who hasn't really answered the bell to drive his own line this year in a definitive way. And so I wonder what this all means. Like McDavid is the only roster player that anyone's really happy with. I guess Nugent Hopkins as well. So do you try and move Drysidle to the top line to get him going? Does Ryan Nugent Hopkins maybe move down to the second line with Drysidle, help get Drysidle going there instead of playing with Connor McDavid? There's, there's a lot of possibilities in play, and it's just a good time for anyone who owns Nugent Hopkins to, or Drysidle, I guess, to be keeping a, a close eye on things and how they develop over the next week or so in Edmonton, because the longer they struggle to score goals, the more likely it becomes that Ryan Nugent Hopkins is used elsewhere in the lineup. Okay. Uh, don't worry. They're going to, McDavid and RH, they're going to score a bunch of goals against you Matt have Murray. To, you've drafted Nugent Hopkins in so many leagues. No, actually, I only have him in one league. That. It's funny. Like, I talked him up so much that then when I was drafting against patrons in the Cacuffle, they all, you know, took him ahead of me. So, but yeah, I have him in one league, the PHL league, where I want to win a lot of money here. So I, I would like him to stay in that spot. Uh, one guy that a lot of people are still concerned about on Edmonton, we've already talked about him before, Oscar Clefbaum. He had a couple assists last week, uh, two games in a row of getting an assist. Okay, I'll take it. They got shut out yesterday, but Clefbaum had five shots and he played over 30 minutes. So he's still clearly the number one guy there. And five shots is five shots. That's good. Most games when he takes five shots is a good chance. Let's say every two games he takes five shots, one of them is going to go in the net. Here's my bold prediction. Edmonton plays four games next week. Clefbaum, three points. Three points for Clefbaum next week. Are you with me? 
I'm with you. I actually texted you last night when the Oilers went on a power play and I guaranteed Clefbaum was finally going to score a point and he came close. He looked really good. Q being the power play. Uh, it didn't work out though. So, uh, so I got to join you on this one. I remain optimistic for him. It's a terrible replay of last year, but I, I don't know. Something tells me that there's a little more chance he's going to stick on the top power play unit. I, I, I don't know why I think that if that's rational or not, uh, go cleft bomb, go. Yeah, I think he's going to have a good week. Pick him up if he's in your free agency. Ryan Get in the chat room. Three points. <laughs> Ryan in the chat is saying that it's going to be a big fab war tomorrow for Yamamoto. Fab again is how we bid on free agents in the Cuckupfle. And the Cuckupfle is keeping Carl's ultimate for pa- Patreon Fantasy League. Uh, yeah, like I wouldn't bid on him. Uh, hold your fab because I don't think Yamamoto's long for that line. Maybe he gets another shot. Maybe he proves me wrong. Okay, one more injury I want to talk about. Really tough break for Brady Kachuk, who's having such a nice start to the season with the sense. He was injured to start the year, finally got in the lineup. Six points in four games. In four games, six points, 14 shots, 13 hits in four games. An amazing start. If he was dropped, like I feel like he's definitely worth a stash in your league. Throw him in your IR. Hope that he could even, even if he's half as good, if he only gets three points and seven shots and seven hits every four games, he's still killing it for you. So yeah, like that's a bummer that he had to go down with Kachuk out. Zingle was back in the lineup. The Sens rolled the following top six in yesterday's 4-3 win over the Habs. They had Mark Stone with Chris Tierney and Ryan Dezingle, then Bodker with Duchesne and Colin White. Fun fact about these six players, I feel like they all seem worth owning in fantasy right now, unless you tell me otherwise. Like Chris Tierney, Still hasn't gone a game without a point. He's up to nine points in seven games. I feel like we're approaching must-add territory, right? He's still not owned in a lot of leagues because a lot of people are assuming that he's not going to be able to keep this up. And obviously, he's not going to be able to keep this up of getting a point every game. But he's playing with Mark Stone, who you're super high on, and he's been producing. He's showing he can do it. How can you not want him on your team? Ride out this point streak. Then you've got Mikhail Bodker, uh, not far behind, six points in seven games. Great start to the year. Dezingle, he had no points yesterday, but he had four shots in his return. He has four points in five games right now. Colin White, only four points in seven games, but two points in his last three. And he's on the top power play with Stone and Duchesne's, Bobby Ryan, Thomas Shabbat. So, Brian, I'm going to deploy my ranking. I think I had a ranking question later. I don't know. Okay, I'm going to do it now, and then we'll figure it out later. Uh, I want you to rank these four potential free agents from the Ottawa Senators. Chris Tierney, Michael Bodker, Ryan Dezingle, Colin White. So I don't like that Chris Tierney has only taken 10 shots in seven games, nor that uh, 14% of all shots are going in while Tierney's on the ice. Well, I mean, I, I like that, but not for hopes of his point scoring being sustainable. Uh, Bodker, he's getting even more five-on-five fortune with a 17% on-ice shooting percentage. Ryan Dezingle, uh, he's not going to be the 66-point player he's on pace to be, but I do like what he offers in goal-scoring potential. And with a small bump in deployment so far over last season uh, that he's gotten, I like that too. Not to mention, he's likely playing with either Duchesne or Stone at any given moment. And Colin White has looked all right in his top power play role and has held it for more than a minute, which is nice. I'm not sure how long Colin White sticks to that top power play, especially over Ryan Dezingle. And as long as, uh, like, you know, until Brady Kachuk comes back. Uh, but uh, White seems to be the Sens' better net front option for how they like to run their top unit at the moment. So, Elon, you're asking me to rank them. I'm going to go Ryan Dezingle first. And then, you know, it's actually pretty even. I don't see a reason to like any of Bodker, Tierney, or White more than any other. Maybe uh, Colin White goes last in that group since he'll be really hard up if and when he does lose that top power play deployment. Or maybe he's first of that group if power play points is a category in your league and uh, he's the only guy who gives you, or he's the guy who gives you the best shot 
at scoring points with the main advantage. And also, as a, as a general response to this whole question, I really don't expect the Ottawa Senators to keep scoring at the rate they've been scoring. They rank second in the league in five-on-five goals four per 60 minutes, but 17th in the league in five-on-five expected goals four per 60 minutes. Uh, you know, that's not awful that they rank 17th, like mid-pack in the league in expected goals four. It's probably better than I would have guessed. But you can see the gap in their real rank, which is second in the league, and their expected rank, which is 17th in the league. And you can expect for the real to trend down towards the expected as more games are played. So there's just going to be there should be fewer goals to go around in Ottawa, making all these guys even a little less attractive. Yeah, but again, you could be a little less attractive and still be very attractive, right? Like Chris Tierney, like I said, nine points in seven games. Brady Kachuk, six points in four games. So you could go down a little bit and I still want you on my team. Uh, the Sens, crazy. They're four, two, and one right now. Craig Anderson, I got him last round of the Kakuffle, one of my best players on my team. I think in this point, I'm going to have to add up all of his points, but he's in great. And by the way, the Habs lose this game in overtime. They're now four, one, and two. It's unreal. The two teams that we thought were going to be the worst, like I guess along with Vancouver and maybe Detroit, but like the Sens of Montreal right now in the playoff hunt, it's super early. Like I'm not saying they're going to be like in the playoff hunt all year, but it's very exciting for the fans of these teams. And speaking of the Habs, did anyone get in on uh, Tatar's one goal and two assist game versus Detroit on Monday after we talked him up on the last show. Hope you did. We told you. He's looking good. Playing on a line with Gallagher, who's amazing. And by the way, Tatar followed up with an assist versus St. Louis the next game. Nothing yesterday, though he has still been on the top line of top power play. I'm going to call the Gallagher-Dano-Tatar line line one. I'm sure a lot of people will say Druin's line is the top line. But hey, I think Gallagher's the best guy on the team. They're getting the most ice time. So I'm calling it Tatar line one. Though, no shade of Jonathan Druin. He's on a four-game point streak. He was in free agency in a bunch of my leagues. He no longer is. If he's a free agent in your league, also make it no more. I don't think Druin should be a free agent in any leagues. He's pretty good. He's at least like a reliable player. He's going to get you a point at least every couple of games. And maybe he could get like a closer to a 60-point pace. Then, Brian, the one guy I'll ask you about, and then you can talk about all of them. What are we going to do with this Paul Byron situation? He had another great game yesterday. One goal and one assist. He's up to now seven points in seven games. He's playing on a line, like I guess line three, Kotkaniemi and Armia are his line mates. It's not like a great spot. He's not getting power play time. This has got to be fleeting production, right? But at the same time, Paul Byron keeps getting points. Yeah, okay. So first off, Duran, I was lucky enough to grab him as a free agent in the cupful. I'm not sure how I swung that, but I'm glad I did because he helped me a lot this week. Uh, he also might be getting, or I think in some formats uh, so on some fancy platforms, he already has gotten some added eligibility as a winger. So that could be another reason to maybe explore the possibility if he's still uh, only a centerman and that doesn't make you want to own him. And uh, okay, team-wide note about Montreal. We just talked about Ottawa as a team and what it means for their fantasy prospects. Well, in Montreal, Montreal ranks sixth in the NHL in five-on-five score-adjusted shot attempt share. Uh, That's fantastic. That's remarkable, given the Habs personnel, as well as uh, the fact that they were sub-50% last season, down at 17th in the league. So give Montreal some credit for making that happen at this point of the season. Uh, Montreal's rank in even strength goals per 60 minutes is also just five spots ahead of their expected goals per 60 minutes rank. So they're not like miraging their way to a really successful start. Like this is what we expect from the better teams in the league to be ranked in shot attempt share and goals for and expected goals for in the places that Montreal finds themselves. I'm so curious to see if they can keep this up as I'm curious to see if Paul Byron can keep this up. So here's first, uh, like the, the the general things I say when anyone 
unlikely is streaking. Uh, Paul Byron's IPP is high. His on-ice shooting percentage is high. They're both signaling some unsustainability, not a crazy amount, but some. But here's the fun and interesting thing about Paul Byron. Wow, what a lead. Uh, Byron has four goals on 17 shots this year, which is like a 23.5% shooting percentage. But that's like just barely above what Paul Byron has been shooting at in the last three years. And having this 22, 23% shooting percentage sometimes is a marker of a guy who doesn't take a lot of shots. Like he's super picky, chooses higher percentage opportunities uh, that he'll pull the trigger on, essentially passes the rest of the time. But this season, the interesting thing here is that Paul Byron is shooting more. He has 17 shots in seven games, which is like two and a half shots per game when we've seen him barely take more than one shot per game over the last three seasons. Uh, Byron's shot rates, uh, shots on goal per 60 minutes, they're double what they've ever been. His shot attempt rates are up by about 40%. So I am really curious to see now that he's got this bump, he's given himself a bump in shot rates, if he can still maintain this super high shooting percentage that he's had but my guess would be in part virtue uh, do uh, like it because he's taken so few shots. So now he's taking more shots. Let's see if he can keep up that shooting percentage. Yeah. Okay. We'll see. Paul Byron streaming. And Brian, you got through it. It was awesome. <laughs> and uh, while you were talking, I was listening to your takes on Paul Byron and I'm liking him. Like if you're in a super deep league and you're benefiting from some of these other categories aside from his points, then sure. Grab Paul Byron, see how, Far he could carry you. Grab Druin first if he's available, of course. Brian, looking at some of these games, Calgary. Do you ever do this, Brian? I'm looking like Johnny Gaudreau has two goals today. It's 3 nothing right now for Calgary. Monaghan has an assist. Then I see Elias Lindholm, no points. I'm like, oh, no, we're going to talk about Lindholm later. Is he off the top line? Then you take a look. Plus minus. He's plus two. I know plus minus is a dumb stat for fantasy, but I, I, I find it useful just when I want to see if a player is still playing with a guy not having to dig into the line combos. This is a total non sequitur. It's just something I was thinking about right now. I actually want to talk about one other non sequitur, but not really, before we get to our line changes. I got a big list of teams who have swapped up their lines recently, and I want to break them down and see who's affected, who's helped, who's hurt. Before we get to that, I want to thank our second sponsor for this week's show, which are our friends over at FanDuel. It's so fun to play FanDuel. I'm having such a great time. I'm so happy hockey's back so we can play every single week. But hey, you can play every single day. FanDuel is fantasy hockey for everyday fans. There's new contests starting every day. You play whenever you want. There's something for everyone. Lots of contests to choose from. You could start just $1 and you could play. You just pick a contest. You choose your team based on the budget and then you watch your score in real time. We've been doing our weekly fan duel league with our listeners. And Brian, for the first time last week, I didn't land in the money. I came so close. Top five, get something. I came sixth. And like, I don't think I did a bad job. It's so tricky sometimes because I feel like I nailed all of my like cheap guys. I picked up Brandon Tanev playing against Edmonton. He got an assist. I picked Robert Hag playing against Florida. He's on Philly, by the way. I'll talk about him in a little bit later in the show. He had an assist in a block. Like all the like crappy guys I picked, I picked Louis Demang playing against Carolina. You know, he played well. He got the win. And then I like by saving all this money, by picking all these cheap guys, I was able to spend big and get Tyler Sagan and Alex Radulov and they did nothing. Dallas got shut out by the devil. So there you go. That's daily fantasy for you. But hey, if you nail it, it could be fun. And Brett, congratulations. One of our longtime patrons, Brett Duboff, he won it last week. He was smart enough to not take those Dallas guys. Instead, he landed on some Florida guys like Barkov. He got Taylor Hall for that 3-0 win. Great job, Brett. And Brian, if other people want to play in our weekly FanDuel League every single week, what do they need to do? Yeah, if you think it's going to be a cakewalk to beat Elon and I in fantasy hockey, uh, this is your chance. When we do play Daily Fantasy, we play it on FanDuel, and you can play us by heading 
over to our super special FanDuel link, FanDuel.com slash Carlson, as in Eric's last name. Uh, Our contest runs Tuesday night, and you can register at about 10 in the morning Eastern time to join us. Also, if you head to FanDuel.com slash Carlson and you're a new user, you're going to get a $5 deposit bonus when you make your first deposit on FanDuel. Just visit FanDuel.com and sign up. Well, you don't need to put in the promo code because it should be automatic. FanDuel.com slash Carlson. Boom. Check it out. FanDuel. It's a lot of fun. Okay, Brian, now we're going to go ad-free for the next hour to finish off this show. We've got some line changes to talk about. Brian, I, I messed up. I didn't listen to you. Like I told you last week that Jeff Skinner was a free agent in my league. He was dropped down because he wasn't doing anything and he wasn't playing on the top line or top power play with Eichel. And like I had to, I would have had to make a waiver claim and I didn't do it. I was thinking, oh, I'll think about it the next day. He got added. I think I could have had him and I blew it. He's been so good. And I didn't add him. I ended up grabbing Connor Sherry instead, who I feel like on the last show you agreed with me that Sherry's the guy you want more anyways because he's on the top line and top power play with Eichel and company. Well, that's all changed now. Say hello to Buffalo's new top line. Goodbye, Connor Sherry. Goodbye, Sam Reinhardt. And hello, Jason Pominville and Jeff Skinner. That was the top line they were running. Eichel, Pominville, Skinner. This was, this will definitely last until next week. Skinner got a hat trick in the last game. Pominville had a goal and two assists. Eichel, three assists in the 5-1 drubbing of the Kings yesterday. Of course, this was against the Kings. We've just discussed. Might not be a very good team, so we'll have to see what they can do against maybe tougher competition. But Buffalo plays today. And then not again until Thursday and Saturday of next week. So is it time to drop Connor Sherry, first of all? And also, by the way, three assists and eight games played Sam Reinhardt. Is it maybe even time to consider dropping him, especially in a one-year league? Time to add someone like Jason Pominville? Or should we just assume this will continue to change over and over and basically only rely on Eichel and Skinner at this point? Like, you don't have to tell me that Skinner's good. Like, clearly he's good, and I was dumb. But, like... Yeah, I wonder, but when you have a team that doesn't play for like four days, that's always an indication that maybe you want to be smart. Like, I don't see a reason to hold Connor Sherry right now. We were really high on him before. We had a nice start to the season on the top line. Now I feel like you got to let him go get someone playing at least two times before Thursday. You could always probably get Sherry back in your lineup, you know, come Thursday if you want him back so badly. So looking at Buffalo's line combinations, we're recording this mid-game against Anaheim, and Sherry is so far playing with uh, Sabatka. And Reinhardt. So yeah. uh, so that's something, I guess. It's not something that you need to hold on so tight to because, of course, you want Sherry playing with Eichel. Except uh, the interesting piece here is that Sherry and Reinhardt uh, have been moved around the lineup together, which may not be an awful thing for either of them. Of course, playing with Eichel beats not playing with Eichel, but at least Sherry and Reinhardt still have each other. Uh, but back to Skinner, uh, he is somebody you want, of course, given his current deployment. And I expect there's still going to be some back and forth throughout the year, uh, like Sherry and Reinhardt could pop back up onto Eichel's line uh, in the next game or in five games from now or in 10 games from now. So just just be conscious that it, it seems like it's an influx situation. And you mentioned it quickly, Elon, but I will add uh, that Pominville is not someone to totally gloss over. He's a pretty decent complimentary option in deeper leagues if he continues playing with Eichel and Skinner for a while. Yeah, we got Pominville. And then next we're going to talk about the Islanders and Andrew Ladd playing on the top line. So all these guys getting a nice little resurgence when we thought that they were done for. Uh, but still on Buffalo, by the way, another great game for Linus Allmark yesterday. He now has only one goal against over his two games he's played. Because remember, he shut out Arizona a couple of weeks ago. So Linus Allmark has been just amazing. Carter Hutton has been not so amazing. 9068 in six games. I feel like we've already had this conversation before after Allmark's shutout. But now you got to imagine Allmark's going to get more games soon. Of, of, of course, like Hutton's playing today since Allmark played yesterday. So far, you know, like when it's mid-game, it's one nothing for Anaheim. So Hutton's fine so far. But either way, 
God, I have your eye on Linus Allmark. If you're in a league where goalies are scarce, if Allmark is still in free agency, I think you've got to grab him. Like maybe he's not at Saros level. You've got to grab him, but maybe long-term Allmark's the one who will get more games just because I think that that starting job might be very much up for grabs. And I think that Linus Allmark might be a good goalie. Like we've talked about it before. This guy has had a good career so far. It's been a short career, small sample size, but so far I haven't seen anything to be concerned about. There hasn't been much to be concerned about. In fact, here's a fun Linus Allmark tidbit. Allmark has yet to allow a goal against at five on five this year. That's amazing. We'd flagged Allmark as a capable challenger to Carter Hyden before the season started. And I recently wondered aloud on our patrons only Facebook group about who's going to play more games this year between Linus Allmark and Yaroslav Halak. They're similar in that they're both behind their team's top choice on the depth chart, but both are playing markedly and expectedly better than that top organizational choice of course buffalo isn't going to offer as good a chance as boston will for wins but if you're looking for starts linus allmark should absolutely be on your radar i'd even add him now if you're in a league where starters are golden and very hard to come by and and carter Hutton is gave up a goal on eight shots in the first period he's still playing right now maybe he'll stop the next 45 i don't know but it's still like you should consider allmark as a very capable challenger for the starting job in buffalo yeah, I definitely agree. At least like a 1A, 1B situation. I don't see a reason why they need to be playing Carter Hutton over and over again while Allmark, like at least grab Allmark for his next start when it's announced. And if he does well, they'll probably play him again and again. You know, like at this point, maybe you don't have to jump on him just now if he hasn't been added yet and you're listening to this show. But next time a starting goalie gets announced for Buffalo, grab him again. They don't play again until next Thursday. So let's move to a team that's going to play before then, who are the New York Islanders. And they've switched things up again. We mentioned last week that Beauvillier was bumped from the Barzil line for Andrew Ladd. Now they swapped out Barzil's other linemate from the start of the season as Jordan Eberle and Josh Bailey have swapped places. So yesterday the lines were Barzil, Ladd, Eberle, and then Nelson, Bailey, and Lee. And the same top power play as always. We don't need to go over that. So Josh Bailey and Anders Lee reunited. Of course, not with as good of a center as they had last year. It's not John Tavares. It's Brock Nelson, which isn't great. But much like Jason Pommetville, Andrew Ladd had a great game when he got on the top line, scoring one goal and two assists versus LA in that massacre we talked about earlier on in the show. Brian, is Jason Pommetville, no, scratch that, is Andrew Ladd? Actually, are either of these guys on your radar at all? Why don't I just use this opportunity since I flubbed it anyways? Who would you want more between these two guys? Ladd had nothing yesterday in the 4-1 loss to San Jose, but he did have three shots in 17 minutes of ice time, so he's being used as a top liner. I'll take Pominville of the two because Ladd is on my radar, but I'm keeping my expectations tempered. If you recall last season, Andrew Ladd played most of the first half with some combination of Barzal, Bailey, and Eberly, but only produced nine goals and nine assists for 18 points in 42 games. Then Ladd got hurt, was demoted into the bottom six upon his return. Uh, you know, he has two goals on seven shots, no power play time, uncharacteristic 80% IPP so far this season. I am not getting too deep into Andrew Ladd, even though last year at this time, I was saying Andrew Ladd has good line mates, could be a sneaky depth option. Uh, that train or ship has sailed for me. Either this line shakeup, I would imagine, is a potential reason to hold Jordan Eberly, even though he only has two assists in seven games, right? Like if he was dropped in the cupful, Brian, would you still make a bid on him now that he's playing with Barzil? Yes, of course I will. Of course I'm going to tell you that I like Jordan Eberly. He was actually dropped in one of my leagues, and I've got third waiver priority in that league at a 15, and I'm trying to decide whether I need to burn that priority, given that they're like, half decent 50 point types available in free agency, but Everly's upside is higher than any of those 50 point 
types. I still consider Everly someone who can threaten for 60 points the same way he has in five, six of his eight NHL seasons to date. The culprit for his poor production so far is no goals despite 15 shots and ample power play time on the top unit. And remember, Everly wasn't getting that top power play deployment last season when he scored 59 points in 80 games. I will cops to being somewhat concerned, though, by some pretty poor offensive generation early on from Eberle. His personal shot attempt and shot rates are down, but much more striking is the massive fall in his on-ice shot attempts per 60 minutes, down to the tune of about 25%, or uh, if you want that in, in absolute terms, 15 to 20 shot attempts per 60 minutes, which is just a massive drop. The easy place, of course, uh, if you want to try and point the finger somewhere, is that Eberle has been playing with Brock Nelson instead of Matt Barzal. So now that that's not the case at the moment, let's watch and see if Eberle's on-ice offensive indicators can bounce back with Barzal reunited as his centerman. Yeah, I am with you, Brian, for sure. Like, obviously, this isn't Ricard Raquel level, but I would love to make a buy low offer on Everly right now. Of course, th- these lines could change again anytime, but I definitely would want Everly in my lineup while he's playing with Barzell. And hey, he might be a really good fan duel guy to play while his salary is low because he started the season slow. But, you know, maybe they don't keep up to date with the line changes so quickly. They, they do show the lines. But maybe the prices don't change. Okay. Uh, Here's another couple of players I wanted to talk about on the Islanders. A lot of people have been asking us if they could drop both of the defensemen. Nick Letty has no points in seven games so far and only four shots in seven games. Pathetic! Nick Letty, come on! And he's been on the top power play and he's still like not doing anything. Ryan Pulak hasn't been much better, unfortunately. Like You'd think this is a great opportunity for him to like take that job by doing something himself, but he only has one assist in seven games. At least he has 16 shots. But I feel like at, bo- at this point, like I have to ask, are both of these guys snoozers at this point? Letty was dropped in Mike Cuffle tier two division and nobody has added him. No one wants him. Yeah, and for good reason. He hasn't done anything. Here's the weird thing about Nick Letty. He's been on the ice for 22 minutes of power play time, but it's taken only two power play shots. That's weird, right? To have your point guy not actually shooting like barely at all. And it's not like that's how little Letty was shooting last year either. This isn't some continuation of what his role has always been. It's just this year, Nick Letty is on the point. He's manning the point, but not shooting. Uh, So that's something to be thinking about. Pulak, in less time, has four power play shots, which is tied with Barzal and Eberle for third in power play shots on the aisles behind Anders Lee and Josh Bailey. So, like, that's something to be happy for Pulak about. It's really disappointing for both players who have only combined for a single point in 14 combined games. At this point, I'm just not sure what the holdup is keeping Letty on the top power play unit ahead of Pulak, especially if he's not shooting. So let's make that switch already, Islanders. Let's do that. That's the best reason for Pulak owners, such as myself, to be holding on since his blocks, hits, and shots aren't even really keeping up with last year's per-game rates thus far uh, like he's seeing five mi- more minutes of ice per night compared to last year significant increase in penalty kill responsibilities but those peripherals for Pulak are just not there so both these guys massive disappointment so far but I think something's got to give here one of them has to start contributing to the team's offense okay but you're saying drop Letty hold Pulak a little longer just because there might be a deployment change at least there's something that could improve for Pulak things can only get worse for Letty come on Barry Brian just told you what to do so do it here's a fun game for the listeners okay I'm gonna Barry Barry Trotz the coach of the Islanders also a really good show have you seen Barry 
No. Oh, it's a, it's a really good. It won a bunch of awards at the recent, I don't know, was it Emmys or anyway, uh, it's, it's really good. Bill Hader is the star. Uh, can, okay, here's a game for the listeners. I want you to try to guess who's the leading point scorer among Islanders defensemen. I'm going to give you some clues, okay? He has one goal and four assists in five games. Have you guessed it yet? Three of those assists came against LA on Thursday. He also has 16 penalty minutes and eight blocks. Have you guys guessed it yet? That's right. It's Scott Mayfield. Right? Who the heck is Scott Mayfield? Why does he have all these points? Is he worth a look? Like, I feel like in a league that counts penalty minutes, it's got to be worth a look, right? He's getting so many penalty minutes. It's ridiculous. Scott Mayfield is a guy who used to fight a lot, but not score a lot at pretty much every level he played at, going back to the USHL when he played for Youngstown, then in college when he played for the University of Denver, and then primarily in the AHL playing for the Bridgeport Islanders. Uh, He's a former second-round draft pick, which is, like, bizarre. That made me stop and think. He was drafted 34th overall in 2011. Why? Why are you drafting a guy who all he's done is fight and not score at any, like, legit level of hockey? And I just, I was looking at the 2011 drafts he was taking after him. A lot of serviceable NHLers taken in the second round with the picks after him. Tomas Yurko is one of them. Boone Jenner, Dmitry Yaskin, Victor Rask, Brandon Saad, Joel Edmondson. And then, of course, 24 picks after Scott Mayfield was drafted, Nikita Kucherov was taken. Anyway, it's very, very weird to draft an enforcer type in the second round. Uh, It's very Islanders at the same time to do that. Uh, But back to Scott Mayfield and what he's been doing lately. Uh, He's been spending more time with the Isles NHL club rather than the AHL club in the last uh, two and a half years or so, even though he's been a healthy scratch plenty of the time while with the big club. And while Mayfield used to fight often and score rarely, now he fights rarely and scores rarely uh, until just this recent run. Like sometimes with these enforcer types, you see some strong scoring in junior or college, and then you see that suddenly their PIMS go up because they had to do something to get to the NHL. But Mayfield, as I think I've made pretty clear, does not fit that narrative. There's no offense to speak of in his junior or college career. So I'm not counting on Scott Mayfield uh, for offense of any kind or even really penalty minutes as he's averaged about a single PIM per game over the last two and a half years. So uh, I don't know, just leave him be. Nobody needs this guy. Okay, wait wait a minute. But Brad, I actually don't know much about PIMS because I've never really been in a PIMS league. Isn't one PIM a game good? That's like a penalty every couple games? I don't know. Whatever. Let us know in the chat room if, if, if one PIM a game is something notable. He does, you know, have five points in five games. So obviously he's doing something. But like I said, three of those points came in one game. Anyway, I got to keep in mind that he exists. Sometimes you learn something listening to Keeping Carlson. At least you're going to learn some names of new players, even if we don't give you the right advice. It's kind of hard to give the right advice for what to do with the Islanders defenseman aside from drop them all. We are saying to hold Pulak. Let's move on to the next team. Another team changing up their lines a lot is the Florida Panthers seems like they had the most obvious top six in the league. Like, this seemed so easy, especially once Henrik Borgstrom got sent down. But no, like, obviously, they're losing games. That's a good reason to switch things up. Yesterday, we're running Barkov, Dadanov, Bjugstad. So that was the same as the end of last year. But then they were going with Trocek, Huberdo, and Colton Sevior. Mike Hoffman was all the way down on the fourth line with a guy named Yuho Lamiko and Troy Brower, who, guess what? He's on Florida. Uh, also, Mike Hoffman was off the top power play, so it didn't stop him, actually, from scoring a third-period goal, assisted by Barkov and Yandel, so maybe he stayed on the ice or something, or someone was double-shifting. Got to imagine this is a short-lived experiment or lesson for Mike Hoffman, right, Brian? Like, Hoffman, he has two goals and two assists in six games, so it's not like he's having a terrible season. So, I like, still, I'd be pretty nervous as a Hoffman or Huberto owner, by the way, who Huberto's also gotten this treatment that, like, this deployment, you know, getting sent down to the fourth line for a game. So, I feel like 
the deployment in the top six for Hoffman and Huberdeau seems like not exactly guaranteed like we thought it would be going to the season. What's your take at this point, Brian? Like if Hoffman was dropped after the news that he'd be online for, would you be all over that if like, you had Hoffman and Jordan Eberle available in free agency? Like who are you liking more? Like I'm just want to get your general take on these Florida guys. I guess both Hoffman and Huberdeau at this point. Like it's just weird to me that they're both not in the top six playing on a line with Vincent Trocek. Like, you know, give them time to make it work. I feel like they could make magic happen. I think so too. I would be all over Mike Hoffman if he was dropped to free agency in one of my leagues. Like, I'm not happy to see Hoffman's even strength shooting rates falling a bit, but like, whatever. He's still Mike Hoffman, still could score 25, 30 goals if given the opportunity. It feels like there are a lot of lessons trying to be taught and experiments being conducted as Florida struggles out of the gate. Did you know, Elon, they were the second last team in the NHL to pick up a win this year? It remains their only win. And in their next game after getting that win, they lost to the only remaining team that had yet to win a game. Do you know what team that was? Yeah, I just checked, Brian. Detroit Red Wings. Yeah, it was an overtime loss. So, you know, Florida's bouncing back. Yeah, with an overtime loss. Way to bounce back, Panthers. So th- there's a lot of not happiness going on. And when that happens, as we'll talk about when we talk about the Rangers in a little bit too, uh, things get shuffled around a lot. Things, things change, especially with expectations being high in Florida. And that's why I'm not about to panic about Hoffman being temporarily uh, in the bottom six, the same way I wasn't so panicked about Huberdeau taking a turn in the bottom six as well, uh, not so long ago. Yeah, though one of them is not going to be on that top power play. Seems like Keith Yandel, that ridiculous experiment where he wasn't there, he's back. He's doing so well, by the way. He had two assists yesterday. He's up to seven points in six games. So it's looking like he's going to have another big season. He had 56 points last year. Yandel's career high is 59 points. I wonder if he can top that. He's on track right now. And like points are up in the NHL. Points are up in the NHL as they always are to start the season. So we're not about to really buy into that as a as a concrete reason that Yandel's going to do better. But I do wonder if he is, like you said, now that that top power play five forward experiment is done, Yandel is contributing more shots and shot attempts than ever, like than he ever has, even in his best days in uh, Arizona or Phoenix, as it was called then. So uh, that's great for Keith Yandel. And hopefully you can keep it up on what is a very loaded top power play unit. Yeah, I'm very happy that I picked him up in one league. I drafted Kevin Shattenkirk and I got a trade after trade offer Yandel for Shattenkirk. Shattenkirk's been like, okay, you did a healthy, healthy scratch game. Then he got a couple assists. He bounced back a little bit. Definitely very happy to have Yandel at this point. Okay, let's go to Columbus. Again, we're talking about teams who have shifted up their lines. And there's a new face on the Columbus top power play recently as Alex Wenberg has been bumped for Anthony Duclair, who I'll bet a lot of people didn't even realize he was on Columbus this year. Duclair has also worked his way up onto the second line at even strength, playing with Wenberg and Felino. And just uh, so you know, the top power play has been Panarin, Atkinson, Duclair, Felino, and Zach Wierenski. And you know what? Duclair has been okay in his new deployment. He has three points in his last five games. He has four points in seven games overall on the season. I feel like Columbus has a lot of guys like Duclair who seem worthwhile, but not sure things to be on your fantasy roster. Like aside from Panarin and Atkinson, who have been great, you've got like Felino, Josh Anderson, Duclair, Wenberg, all of them have four or five points in seven games, like just hovering around fantasy relevance, hovering around like us wanting to talk about them on the podcast. Then by the way, we have Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's been centering the top line, but he only has one goal and two assists in seven games so far. Nothing in his past three games after a strong start doesn't help that he's been off the top power play since the second game of the season. 
Brian, at this point, like, who's your third favorite Blue Jacket forward to own in fantasy right now? Like, is there a case that may, is there a case that maybe it shouldn't be Pierre Luc Dubois? He was the guy that everyone would have drafted after Atkinson and Panarin, maybe even before Atkinson. Felino or Anderson maybe are better at this point, especially in Bangers leagues. I'm curious to know what's your take on Pierre Luc Dubois at this point. New patron Brandon asked if he should wait for Dubois to heat up or drop him. Brendan, I should say, and also new patron Joshua piled on and said oh i have the same question as well so shout outs to you guys thank you for asking brian answer the question what are we going to do about pierre luke dubois off the top power play not doing well yeah so he has one goal on 16 shots and dubois even strength offensive indicators are up by a bit over last year remember dubois had 48 points in 82 games last season so so you put that all together and you know maybe we realize or remind ourselves it was never going to be automatic that Pierre-Luc Dubois was going to blossom into a 60-point player this year. I still think that's where he's headed at some point in his career, but it might just not be happening as quickly as we'd hoped. Uh, But again, that one goal on 16 shots could probably be better. Like that would give him another point, say, so it's not a huge deal. Uh, Like it doesn't change the narrative that much. Uh, If I'm ranking blue jacket forwards to own i would have dubois still third then i'd have felino and duclair behind him and then jenner and anderson behind them okay so yeah so you sounds like you're pretty high on duclair if you have him right behind there definitely someone to watch everyone like if he's going to be on the top power play and in the top six this guy might love something left i kind of thought he was you know a lot of people were excited when he was on the rangers and then he went to what was it, arizona and just never really was able to do anything now he's doing something. Let's see if he can keep it up. By the way, Seth Jones could be back next week. That's the latest report I've seen. Zach Wierenski has four points in his last four games, but he could get bumped from that top power play, maybe get worse deployment. Of course, he could get better at even strength, considering that he'll be playing potentially with Seth Jones. So I'm curious, to know, like, what's your take at this point? Like, is Wierenski someone that you want to sell high on at this point? Or do you think things will stay pretty much the same? It's hard to know exactly how Columbus is going to want to deploy uh, Seth Jones while Zach Wierenski is seeing success on the power play, right? Like Seth Jones got that role last year because Wierenski was struggling and remember he was injured. There was all stuff going on, uh, but now that's not the case. So if Wierenski's rolling, I don't know that it's so automatic that Jones steps right back up there, uh, but Jones owners need not worry because even if he doesn't step right back up there, he's good for at least 40 points, can probably still get 45, even without being the guy on the top power play unit. Uh, I think I'd probably, if I was a Wierenski owner before proudly selling high, especially because his value was kind of low going into this season, I would want to wait a week and see if Wierenski can't still hold that spot, even with Jones back in the lineup. Also, Elon, Paul in the chat brought up Alex Wenberg as another Blue Jacket to own, who we, like, we talk about, and, uh, like, I hoped that Wenberg and Oliver Bjorkstrand would make a good pair. They're not together. I think they were broken up after the first game or two. Uh, Wenberg is a guy who isn't that helpful because he's a center and he barely shoots. He has six shots in seven games, but he does have four assists. He's a fantastic creator. He just needs someone to create with. And right now, uh, maybe he can find some chemistry with Duclair on that second line. I don't know. He is in the picture, though. So it depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for points, I would put him ahead of the Jenners and Andersons. But if you're looking for uh, multi-category contributions, I would put him behind the Jenners and Andersons. Yeah, that's fair. Wenberg just feels just kind of boring to me, especially now that he's off the top power play. If Pierre-Luc Dubois got injured and all of a sudden Wenberg was playing with Panarin on the top line, that would, of course, change anything. Okay, now let's go to St. Louis as they've gone back 
to that Tarasenko Schwartz Shen line that was so successful for them at the start of last season before Jaden Schwartz got injured yesterday in the win over the Leafs. Ryan O'Reilly dropped to play with David Perron and Zach Sanford, while Tyler Bozak centered a third line with Pat Maroon and Alex Steen. The power play, they're still doing this like weird split with Dunn and Bozak and Maroon on one unit with Ryan O'Reilly and Tarasenko. Can we change that, please? Can we get Petrangelo and Tarasenko or like Jaden Schwartz, like the best players on the top power play? That would be a lot nicer, especially for me as a Petrangelo owner in fantasy. But we talked about him a lot last week and he got a couple points yesterday. So maybe he's going to be okay. Great news, by the way, for Jaden Schwartz to be on the top line. He's had a slow start to start the season. He only has two assists in five games, but I feel like he's another one of these buy low guys, especially if he's going to be back on the top line with Tarasenko and Shen. I think think like blue skies are coming for Jaden Schwartz. Nobody panic. Hold steady. He's going to be good, right? Gray skies are going to clear up. Uh, hold Schwartz. Yeah, I think things are going to get better, but there is a but here. And I actually, when you asked me, like in our prep notes, what, what about Jaden Schwartz? I was ready to just, yeah, keep Schwartz. He's fine. Everything's good. Uh, something isn't great about Jaden Schwartz at the moment. Note that his power play deployment is down and Schwartz has just nine shots in five games, which is not at all what we'd hope to see from Schwartz after he hung in the two, two and a half shot per game range over the last few seasons. Curiously, his five on five shot rates are steady enough, but Schwartz's power play usage has changed entirely. Aside from not being on the top unit, he's got this weird role on the second unit where he's not attempting any shots. Like, why? I I don't get it. This is another reason to hope that the power play units change in St. Louis and Schwartz gets back, if not to the top unit, then to being a main uh, trigger man on the power play rather than this support role that he's playing where he's basically not, he's not shooting the puck on the power play. And that frustrates me. So uh, instead of it being a slam dunk, yeah, don't worry about Jaden Schwartz. It's still like a don't worry about Jaden Schwartz, but there's also this little weird thing happening on the power play that I don't like. Oh, interesting. Okay, because you're always such a big Jaden Schwartz fan. Let's see what happens. And again, he hasn't been playing on the power play with Vladimir Tarasenko like he should. So we need to switch that up, and then maybe things will get better. There are a couple of blues that we were low on going into the season that have been really great, and we need to talk about them. David Perron is currently tied for the team lead in points with seven points in seven games. He's tied with Ryan O'Reilly. Alex Steen also, he has five points in seven games and a four-game point streak ended yesterday. So first, Perron. Brian, do you think that David Perron is on his way to proving that his 77-point pace from last season wasn't as much of a fluke as we thought? he's actually a free agent in our joint league are we crazy for not having jumped on him yet no we're not crazy for leaving david perron alone he has four goals on nine shots you do do the math that's a crazy shooting percentage he also has an 88 percent ipp compared to 74 percent ipp last year which surprised us because the year before he had a 63 percent ipp so i i really expect him to regress more towards 63 than 88 it doesn't make sense, his recent IPP history. Usually, you get to a number and you sort of stick there in your career, although his role was different in Vegas, so that probably helped. But now he's back to a situation where uh, he's not... Uh, I don't think the offense is running through him quite the same way. So I am not uh, running to get David Perron. Okay, then Alex Steen seems like a solid stream at the very least, right? He's like We called him stinky a couple years ago now, but he's still hanging in, being a valuable guy worth streaming in fantasy. Yeah, so the thing is, like, if, if I'm picking a sustainable guy between Steen and Perron, it's going to be Alex Steen. 59-point pace is what he's on right now. Still seems rich, but I got to say, I can't find a whole lot to pick at. Like, give me a blind test. Show me Steen's career numbers. Don't tell me who he is or how old he is. Well, how old he is matters, so tell me that. But give me all that, and I'd probably think, oh, yeah, this guy's good for 50, 55 points. 
And Alex Steen is someone like knowing it's him. It's harder for me to say that, but I'm going to say that about him. He might be a better ad than you think. One thing that won't last for Alex Steen and why uh, this 59 point pace isn't going to quite keep is that he has three power play points in seven games. And that's from the second power play unit. And his thanks to a 33% power play on a shooting percentage, not going to last with that power play production. Yeah, that's fair. But still, two guys to watch. Fun to see some new players being valuable in St. Louis. We already told you last week or whenever to forget about Pat Maroon, though he is on the top power play. But yeah, Perron and Steen doing well now. We'll see how long it'll last. Brian Sangta, stay away from David Perron. Maybe go grab Alex Steen if you can fit him in for a game. Brian, uh, really quick off script here. Anthony's asking in the chat, did you guys talk about Tampa Bay yet? Stamkos isn't showing his usual goal scoring. Uh, we weren't planning on talking about Tampa Bay, though I am looking at the score for today. The game's over now. Tampa won 6-3 over Chicago. Braden Point, goal to assist. He's amazing. Stamkos, no points. And Tampa scored six times. That that would drive me crazy if I was a Stamkos owner. He's playing with Braden Point on a line also with Yanni Gord. Oh, yeah, we were planning on talking about Tampa Bay later. I just remembered we had Yanni Gord scheduled. But, yeah, like, um, you know, I'm going to write this down. Next week, if Stamkos still hasn't bounced back, he's definitely someone we're going to have to look into because he's getting good ice time. He's getting power play time. But now he is only up to, like, he has three points in eight games, if my math is correct, which is not good for Steven Stamkos. But, okay, Brian, I'll just move on, right? Unless you want to say something right now about that. It sounds like a pretty great buy low. I'm looking at his offensive numbers and while his shot attempts are down a little bit, his shot on goal uh, counts have stayed steady, which you might not like if this stays, uh, his shots on goal are going to fall a little. It's just really unfortunate that he has not been able to get in on more goals that his team is scoring or scored more himself. His on uh, like everything. Actually, I don't know. Maybe I'm a little scared about Steven Samgos. This is a, a good question that I'm trying to look more into live to see where the problem is. He's less involved on the power play, 50% IPP. Uh, he has no power play goals, even though he's still taking plenty of shots. So that's a, a positive sign that that's going to turn around. I don't know. I would happily buy low on Stamkos. If you could trade Kopitar for Stamkos... Go for it. That would be a very weird trade, though. Cool. Two really struggling players. I don't see why this. The whole point you have to like trade <laughs> somebody would do well. That. Yeah, of <laughs> yeah. course. Yeah, Steven, uh, his on ice shooting percentage on the power play also uh, under seven percent. Like it, it's a, it's half or it, it sucks. It's awful. It's terrible. Buy low, Steven Stamkos. He's going to be okay. Brian, I have a Braden Point in the cupful. Should I make an offer to the Stamkos owner? I don't think so. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I would prefer Stamkos, especially because our format uh, rewards goal scoring. I guess. I don't know. I do. I, I would make that offer. Okay. Well, Stamkos owner, if you're listening, uh, give me a call. We'll, we'll talk about this. Okay. I said, give me a call. Okay. Message me. Okay. Uh, okay. Brian, you know what? I'm a professional here. I could change things up. I said that we were going to talk about Tampa Bay later. Let's just talk about him right now because another guy who got in on some of this action today, and it's not Steven Stamkos, it is Yanni Gourd, who's his other line mate. It's been Gourd, Stamkos, and Braden Point on one line. And Gourd was already doing well. He's like, he's now on a six game point streak. He has eight points in seven games overall. Like, seems to me like Gourd is the clear fourth best forward to own on Tampa after Kucherov, Stamkos, and Point ahead of guys like Palat and Miller and Tyler Johnson, etc. Like, Miller's hot as well, but I feel like I'd take Yanni Gourd over him. You were last week, like, kind of like, nah, forget, I'm not so into Yanni Gourd. I see some unsustainability. Another week of production is in front of us now. Have you changed your mind, or do you still think that Yanni Gourd is the type of guy you should sell if you have him and not get super excited about being able to keep this up? I mean, how much longer can I keep saying this? I said it all of last year to sell Yanni Gord, and uh, I was wrong. Well, I mean, I maintain that it was unsustainable, but he's doing it again now. 
He's got a 27% shooting percentage going into tonight's game. Uh, so I don't have the updated stats. His on-ice shooting percentage was above 15%. He had a 78% IBP. These are all, like the first two numbers are absolutely unsustainable. Uh, if his IPP holds at 78%, that is like elite top line playmaker uh, or goal scorer territory, which I still don't see him as being one of those types. So I would happily sell high on Yanni. Like I'd be so glad if I drafted Yanni Gord and he went off like this because it's exactly like that would have been the reason I draft Yanni Gord to sell him on his name value. And he's raising it at this point. I would so happily trade him for anyone who's going to get, I don't know, 60 points seems low, definitely 65 points or more. So you're going to offer Yanni Gord to the Mike Hoffman owner right now. Let's give some actionable advice here. Uh, Mike Hoffman's no. Eberly, Eberly, you're trading Yanni Gord for Eberly. Eberly, well, he's closer to the sixty point range, sixty sixty five point range. I'm looking for sixty five plus. Maybe someone like Matt Duchesne. Okay, maybe mm-hmm. you probably could pull that off. I think in a lot of leagues. Uh, so Yanni Gord, by the way, Duchesne plus. I want to like get in your head for a bit just to understand. It's like you're saying right now, you're not like his IPP is so high. It's like an elite player's IPP. You're not convinced that he is one of those guys. So he, in his rookie year last year, he had 64 points. Like, and now he's doing well again. I'm not saying, I'm not like disagreeing with you. I'm just curious. Like how long would it take? Are you afraid to disagree with me? No, I'm I just want people to realize I'm not trying to argue with you. I just want to like understand like what would you need to see to change your mind at this point? Like as long as his numbers are this way, will you always consider him someone who's about to regress? Or is he the kind of guy who like you just need to see him prove that he can hold this for a bit longer before you're gonna be convinced? Hey, listen, if he's a guy who can hold a 20% shooting percentage like Paul Byron, he's closer to to being the guy that I don't think he is. Uh, right now, he he's scored four times on 14 shots. Three of those have come on the power play, though. So that's that that goes a little bit in his favor. He's still scoring on too many of his shots. And his teammates, he and his teammates are scoring on 15% of all even strength shots taken, which is definitely too high. Usually you're looking, uh, most of the league is around not the 9% range for on ice shooting percentage maybe 10 percent, especially at this early stage of the year but uh just his numbers have always been unsustainably high so he would need to keep this up for an entire other year like these exact numbers for me to say oh okay these are really uh unconventional unorthodox numbers for someone to be able to sustain but i guess yanny gourd is one of those guys who can sustain them or i'd need him to keep producing with some very reasonable percentages behind them uh, so neither of those two things have happened yet. All right, fair enough. So we'll keep watch on Yanni Gord. Definitely, but, looking, like like you said, looking great right now. You would have been happy yeah. if you drafted him. I'll also say, like, it, it really does behoove his his production and his fantasy value that he is sticking in the top six. Like he, you know, when he was coming up, it's uh, can he stay in the top six? Does he seem like more of a top nine player? But his coach, as Anthony just said in the chat, really seems to like him. And he, I mean, who wouldn't like a guy who always looks like he's working as hard as Yanni Gord looks like he's working? Okay, so let's go to another team now, the Arizona Coyotes. We mentioned last week that Keller and Stepan were getting reunited on the top line. This was clearly the jumpstart that Clayton Keller needed as he picked up a goal and an assist versus Chicago on Thursday, and then two goals versus Winnipeg yesterday. I feel like the buy low window has officially closed on Clayton Keller. Hopefully you got in on it and got him for cheap before it was too late. Probably not too late, though, for people to still get in on Derek Stepan if they want to, if you say they should. The question is, like, should they? Stepan finally picked up his first point of the season yesterday, assisting on one of the Keller goals. Still, one point in seven games is a tough ad to justify recommending. 
I'll at least posit that if people have held on to Derek Stepan this whole time, I feel like you might as well not give up on him now, right? Like give him one more week to build on this first point he's finally picked up on the season. Obviously, his situation is a lot better now that he's playing at even strength and on the power play with the great Clayton Keller. Yeah, this feels very much in Arizona right now, like Edmonton or Montreal felt last year when they seem to be doing things reasonably well, but never getting rewarded in the early months. Arizona is dead last in the league in all situations, goals per 60 minutes. They're behind 30th place Los Angeles by a fair margin and like way behind 29th place Vegas. Uh, in goals per 60 minutes in all situations. Arizona's all situations expected goals for per 60 minutes isn't a ton better, but suffice to say, uh, Arizona should have scored a few more goals by now, boasting a sub 4% team shooting percentage. And when that shooting percentage starts to regress to where it should be around the nine, uh, well, eight or 9% range at even strength, then uh, you can expect Eric Stepan and Clayton Keller to be putting up more points than they are now. Like you said, it's so hard. I own Stepan in a league, and seeing that he's at zero points on the season is just crushing me. But what can I do? Like, I, dropping him now just doesn't make sense. It, just, it has to turn, right? Yeah, well, like I said, he just assisted on a Clayton Keller goal in the last game. So let's see if he can build on that. At this point, though, forget all the other Arizona forwards, right? Like Lawson Cruz was on the top line yesterday instead of Richard Panic. Kraus, uh, who cares? Dylan Strom has been playing on the top power play, but hasn't done anything. He did have five I actually shots. Thought- Chris on the top line was interesting. Boring. Like they, they suck right oh, now. Okay. Come on. No. Okay. But if they stop sucking, like if they, if they have a reasonable shooting percentage and, and Kraus remains the replacement for panic, I dropped panic in a league that I owned him. I took him off the watch list in another league where I was watching him. Uh, like Kraus is a pretty, like, seems like if he sticks there, Playing with Stepan and Keller is a pretty good place to be. I guess. I like Panic. I liked also because he was on the top power play, and he still is there. Kraus, not there. So I don't know. I'm going to say drop all your Coyotes except for Keller and Stepan at this point. Probably no one owns them anyways, at least until Alex Galchenyuk is back. Also, don't forget, he'll come back, and maybe things will shift around, and maybe he'll help make some other players interesting. Like some people were interested in Vinny Hinnestroza at some point right now. Forget about him. Okay, another disappointing player with only one assist so far this season is Shea Theodore. He picked up his first assist versus Buffalo back on Tuesday. Hasn't helped him, though, to not be on the top power play for the last two games. And it hasn't been Colin Miller that's gotten on the Vegas top power play. It's been Brad Hunt. He was called up two games ago, jumped right into that spot, had a power play assist on a William Carlson goal yesterday. I asked Daniel Negreanu on Twitter, like, what was going on? And if Shea Theodore, if he expects him to bounce back, remember Negreanu's not only a poker legend, but also a big fan of the Vegas Golden Knights. He said that Hunt is a power play specialist and that it won't last. But still, at this point, I have to ask, Brian, is Shea Theodore a snoozer? At this point, it's pretty sad to have seen all of these hot free agents come and go in the couple while I've held on to Shea. I don't want him anymore, but like I drafted him as a guy I thought was going to be quarterbacking a top power play with Jonathan Marcheseau and his crew of great players. And so far, it's like going terribly. Like Pacioretty, we talked about last week, and he's still continuing to suck. Like, I guess Alex Tuck will come back at some point. But anyway, let's focus on Shea Theodore. Is he worth holding or is it time to let him go? As a Pulak owner, I know your pain of having drafted a guy thinking he'd quarterback a power play and you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. Shea Theodore, I wouldn't call him a snoozer just yet because he's actually playing well. He had a post earlier this week that probably could have changed your whole narrative here. And Vegas, I referenced them when we were talking about how much trouble Arizona's having scoring goals. Vegas is having similar problems. Uh, Once they do figure those out, and they will to some extent at least, Shea Theodore is going to be getting in on those goals. Colin Miller now is a snoozer, although I think we already mentioned that. Shea Theodore is someone you still 
just kind of have to hang on to like Oscar Clefbaum, but with fewer other peripherals to help keep you sated while you just wait for the moment that he explodes, hopefully. All right. Well, I'm going to hold Shay Theodore based on your recommendation. And if he gets no points next week, I'm going to ask you again if I should hold Shay Theodore. So be prepared for that. Uh, there's been a revolving top six spot in Minnesota that's currently occupied by Matt Reed. Another guy I didn't realize was in the NHL. He was playing with Stahl and Zucker yesterday. He had two shots, but only 10 minutes, 53 seconds of ice time. So it seems like a pretty sure non-entity outside of a potential cheap fan duel play. It's useful to know who are these guys you could get for $3,000. Like, I got all those great guys. But then, of course, then you have to cash in on your big money guys when you're playing Daily Fantasy. But yeah, so Matt Reed is there. But forget about him. Let's give some props to the current Minnesota Wild leading score. Play at home. See if you can guess it. 3-2-1. It is Zach Parisi. His goal versus Tampa yesterday brought him to 10 points in eight games. Parisi has been playing with Koivu and Granlund on the top line. It's a great spot, of course. Brian, do you think Parisi can keep this up to some extent? He's Or is he like a clear sell high? Like He's only 50% owned in Yahoo, which to me is crazy. And also, from now on, I feel like when we say sell high, and I feel, feel like maybe we've been doing it during the show, I'm going to try to always give you a name to go with it. Since so it's just like sell high. seems like such like vapid advice. But also, okay, so should Parisi owners make an offer to the Raquel or Clayton Keller owners? It seems like an obvious yes, right? Or But like, or is Zach Parisi like for real? Like he used to be an all-star in the league. He's been, you know, having a rough time over the past couple of years, but a lot of it can be maybe just put to injury. He seems healthy now. He's just doing so well. Parisi's looking really good. I mean, of course, I would prefer Keller or Raquel at this point. And good luck if you can get that return. You're amazing. Way to go. But also, don't sleep on what Parisi might be able to offer you in terms of value if you do hold him. He does have a high PP, high on ice shooting percentage, but still sustainable stats underneath those. So that's to say that Parisi won't remain on a 100-point pace, but he's still absolutely worth owning right now and hopefully for the whole year previous finally gotten a bump in deployment uh, he played 17 or 17 and a half minutes on average per game the last couple seasons and now previous is playing up to almost 19 and a half minutes on average including some nice power play time that just hasn't been offered to him the last couple of years on a consistent basis so breezy should be owned now that he's playing on the top power play and with good line mates on a consistent basis instead of being shuffled around the middle six. Uh, he's also throwing three shots on net per game. The 34-year-old Parisi still has some gas left in the tank. Own him. Oh, that was really like unemphatic. Own him. Own him. Okay. But not like in the way, like sort of like own him, like beat him up. You, you guys know what we're saying. But yeah. No, here- don't pwn him, own him. <laughs> but the, here's our advice for you. If you're a Zach Parisi owner, throw out an offer to the Ricard Raquel owner. See what happens. Brian, you're saying like you think it'll be so... I'll bet you a lot of people could pull that off right now because not everyone is... Like a lot of people just like go by what's been going on over the last couple of weeks. They don't think more long-term than that. By the way, Brian, we nailed it with Jason Zucker, right? Or at least as much as you could say a couple weeks into the season. You had no concern that he'd be able to match his 65-point pace from last year when we talked about him in our world's first ever fantasy hockey audio almanac. Uh, So far, so good, right? Seven points in eight games. Do you want to up your projection? You had him at 65 in the almanac. Are we going to go 70? Is Jason Zucker going to join the 70-point club? I love proclaiming that we nailed something eight games into the year. but obviously we can't we can't call it a closed deal and i'm not going to go all the way up to 70 uh, but first zucker or zucker as how i heard his name pronounced when i watched the wild game the other night uh, he's doing really well 30 shots in 8 games leads the wild in that category so zucker has earned his four goals for sure the one thing still missing for zucker to get to 70 points is that top power play deployment that still escapes him 
Not sure if that's coming or not, but at least he's finally getting the five-on-five minutes that we hoped he would uh, consistently. So those are coming. He's taking advantage, taking shots, scoring goals. But please, oh, please, if that power play top line, uh, if, if a spot opened up for him there, that would just be so fantastic. I mean, yeah, like Minnesota does kind of go with two units. So we're, we're talking like an extra, like maybe 5% or 10% of power play time over the game. Are we though? Are you sure about that? Uh, I guess I'm looking at his game log now. Last game, he played 45.9%. The game before, he played 25%, but it was only like 39 seconds. So yeah, I guess when the more power plays there are in the game or the more power play time, the closer he'll be to 50%. But yeah, when the Wild only have one power play, they'll put out their top unit first, and then it's possible that they'll just be there the whole time. Sure, give him some more power play time. He seems to deserve it. But okay. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. good. Yeah. Zucker. Zucker. Rhymes with snooker. Got it. <laughs> uh, and Booker T. You say snooker. Okay, yeah. And Booker T. Very good. Uh, Five-time WCW champion, I've heard. Uh, Another guy making us look smart so far is Timo Meyer, whose goal yesterday versus the Islanders brought his point streak up to five games, six points in eight games overall on the season. Meyer has been playing with Hurdle and Couture. Brian, do you think this production is sustainable for Timo Meyer? Is he a must-own in most leagues at this point? He's definitely not owned in most leagues at this point, but it seems like he should be. Yeah, Timo Meyer is doing really, really well uh, with his early deployment. He's been able to to make some use of it and show that he deserves it. Four goals on 22 shots is a little high. So is a 12.5% on ice shooting percentage. But Meyer's kept up his shot rates just the way we'd hoped he would with a bump in deployment. And Elon, he's still playing on the top. Like, he's still playing in such a good place in the lineup. I, we had this conversation at the start of the year. You thought he'd fall out of the top line or top six early on. Are you surprised to still see him hanging in there? Well, I mean, I guess Joe Thornton got injured and that opened up a spot. Not that he's a center, but yeah, no, he's doing great. You're right. Like, I feel like he's not like guaranteed to be there like some other guys, like, like you know, on other teams. Like, there is still p- the potential that he could get bumped at some point, but for now, it's looking great. And yeah, I am surprised. Good job, Brian. You are great. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's not where I was going with that, but it, thank you. It's always where I want to go. <laughs> uh, here's someone who's not been so great so far, and it's really bothering me. Eric Carlson on the Sharks. He uh, saw only he only saw 45 percent of his team's power play time yesterday. Brian, Kevin uh, LeBanc, Kevin LeBanc took Eric Carlson's top power play spot. They decided to not do the two defense thing. This is killing me. I drafted him like in the first round in a couple of my leagues, like the, the players I could have had, but I just assumed Carlson's going to be 75. Oh, I feel bad. Okay. Brian, make me feel better. Like, I feel like Joe Bluff right now. Like I'm a, I think, I feel like I've made a huge mistake or what, what's the exact quote. I think I've made a huge mistake. I've made a huge mistake. Yeah. I, uh, so only four assists in eight games at this point. I'm of course not suggesting he's going to be like a 42 point guy or whatever, 41 point guy all throughout the season. But at the, I feel like at this point, maybe I'm not so convinced that Eric Carlson is going to be the 75, 80 point guy that I drafted him as. I feel like at the very least, I'm ready to move him down to the group of guys like John Carlson and John Klingberg and Shane Gospair. Like we used to think of Eric Carlson in like a tier above those guys. At this point, I feel like I'm downgrading him to those like still elite, awesome defensemen to own in fantasy. But I don't, I'm not ready to say that I would expect Eric Carlson to outperform John Klingberg, say, for the rest of the season. Like with his deployment, it's going to be hard. Apologies to that person who hates it when we say Shane Ghost Bear, but sometimes two hours into a podcast with a lot of words spoken and written, it happens. Here, I got uh, it. Back. Shane huh? Gostes Beher. Gostes Beher. There, so, there you go. You're welcome. Well, it's just like when you say the Shane, you can't say Ghost Bear, but if you leave out the Shane. Then you could say it? Yeah, I think so. I, like People are aware, I hope, that we don't actually think his name is Ghost Bear. It's just like fun <laughs> to say. It's fun to spell with emoji. 
Okay, you asked me uh, what we need to do with Eric Carlson, whether we need to lump him in with Carlson, Klingberg, Shane G, all those guys. And I'm not ready to do that yet to Eric Carlson. He has no goals on 24 shots. His on-ice shooting percentage is at a paltry 4.5%. His even strength IPP is 25%, which is like half of what his lower marks have been, and even further behind the 60% IPPs that he was posting the last couple years. This is an adjustment, right? And actually, I don't know if you caught it, Elon, but Chris Weidman in Ottawa seemed to be throwing, like to, to be subtweeting Eric Carlson with an, an interview quote he gave saying, it's not all about one player anymore, where, you know, it's everything is to serve that player's ego, use the word ego, or at least se- severely implied it. But was saying, you know, Carlson, the plan was to give the buck to Carlson, get out of his way, let him do what he wants. And that's just not the case for Carlson in San Jose. He doesn't have free reign. There's a lot of other players in San Jose who can handle the puck. He doesn't have to be the only person who the offense goes through. And this is an adjustment for him, for everybody. But I'm still really confident that he is going to be okay because of these weird markers in his numbers that still say, well, he deserves to be doing better than he has already. Like, just remember how we felt about Brent Burns last year and we said to wait and then things worked out. That's still where I am with Carlson. I'm not ready to downgrade him yet. Elon, I wonder, like you said, if someone sent you a trade offer, you own Eric Carlson for Car- like, and they offered you Carlson Klingberg or Shane G, would you take that offer? Like you would take that straight up? Well, okay. I didn't actually say that, but uh, yeah. Oh, okay. When you you're wrote Carl- it. And also you keep on saying Carlson and Carlson. You're saying John Carlson. So someone offered me John Carlson for Eric Carlson. Like the thing is, maybe I wouldn't take it straight up, but I'm definitely like, I'd consider it. I wouldn't be like declining right away. Like this is garbage. Like at some point you have to look at how John Carlson has 10 points in seven games. He's the sure top power play guy on an amazing team with an amazing top power play. Like he got 70 points last year. So even if I think Eric Carlson's ceiling is higher, I feel like John Carlson, like even if he's a little higher ceiling, it's not like he's going to be so far ahead. Like, and I like, I'm concerned about Eric Carlson. Like, yeah, like hit me up tier two Ottawa. If you want Eric Carlson and you have one of these elite D who are like producing so much better than him, throw me a trade offer. I don't know. Maybe I'll be drinking that night and, uh, and I'll be nervous and, you know, San Jose will be doing nothing again and I'll, I'll be concerned. Like, I don't know what I'll do, Brian, but it's not a sure thing for me. Is that, is that wrong? Mm, I mean, one for one, I wouldn't do what, like, what's your incentive to sell low on Carlson? You really selling think- low to get John Carlson. It's not yeah. something low. It's a guaranteed top power play guy who could get me 70 points for sure. I don't even have to think about it. I think Eric is still enough of a lock to get you there close enough that you could ask for John plus a little sweetener. Someone really wants to make that happen. I wonder if the John Carlson would make that offer or give me Klingberg. Klingberg actually only has six points in seven games, but whatever. He's like also like just a, a guaranteed guy. Klingberg should have more points. I would have won my fan duel matchup if Klingberg got a couple points in that game and got shut out. Enough about your fit. I mean, you know... You okay. lost. I lost. I'll move on. So let's talk about Philly now because we've been doing this show for a long, long time. To those of you who drafted Wayne Simmons this season, <laughs> well, bravo. <laughs> Bravissimo. Like, it helps that Ben Reemsdyke has been injured for the record. Hey. hey. Wayne Simmons was playing on line one yesterday with Giroux and Couturier. Voracek jumped down to join Nolan Patrick and Scott Lawton. As I predicted last week, by the way, though I was predicting that Voracek would bump, would go down and Travis Konechny would be the guy going to line one. I wasn't expecting Wayne Simmons to go from the bottom six right up to line one. Simmons scored yesterday. He's now up to seven points in eight games on the season. Of course, like 
I don't regret us suggesting people hold Travis Konechny. If you remember the conversation, Brian, I was like, I know Konechny's struggling, but I feel like they're going to shake up the line soon with all their injuries. And so I was saying, people, you, you hold Konechny a little bit longer. He had a nice week himself. He picked up points in three straight games, even though he was playing with Oscar Lindblom and Jordan Wheel yesterday. Uh, like we've been getting, uh, so like, yeah, overall, I don't really have a question for you. Just Wayne Simmons. Like, yeah, we saw last year that he sucked for like, you know, for Wayne Simmons, but he had all those injuries. Clearly he's healthy. Now they're giving him deployment. He's on the top power play. We were worried over the summer that he wouldn't get it. Even when JVR was on the team, Simmons got on the top power play and he's just been great. And like, good for you for being smart enough to draft Wayne Simmons, especially if your league, you know, counts as peripherals. Ah, beautiful. But we do have a couple players that people are concerned about on Philly. We've been getting tweets and questions from concerned Sean Couturier and Ivan Provorov owners lately. So Couturier, despite his amazing deployment, only has three goals and no assists in eight games so far. So Brian, let me guess. Like, I feel like I could do this for you. Like low IPP, like, I don't know, low on ice shooting percentage. Like, I feel like Sean Couturier has got to be due. He's playing 22 minutes a game. He's playing with Giroud and even strengthened on the power play. Got to be another one of these amazing buy low candidates, right? Like, right up there along with a guy like Ricard Raquel. Yes, Couturier has a low on ice shooting percentage, but not so much a low IPP. Although his even strength IPP is okay, but... On the power play, it's a different story. Couturier has yet to get a point on a power play goal, even though he's been on the ice for five Philadelphia Flyer man advantage markers. So that's a place where his luck can certainly turn. And I agree with you that everything else looks okay for Couturier. No big changes from last year in his offensive indicators. So yes, he is a great buy low thought. So you and said, we- oh yeah, go ahead. And Wayne Simmons, just to like, he is leading the league and expected goals for individual expected goals for, and also uh, matching those expected goals for numbers with actual goals for. I tweeted out some charts showing this stuff that you can see uh, over on our Twitter at Keeping Carlson. Uh, we credit at Charting Hockey at the end of the show for uh, making those charts. Anyway, Simmons looks so good as a healthy returned player to the lineup. Yeah, good for Wayne. He's going to get paid this summer. That's for sure, because he's going to be an unrestricted free agent and he's looking great. Okay, Ivan Provorov, three assists in his last two games after going pointless in his first six games. You were telling people you weren't worried about him on Facebook. Before that, he was doing nothing and people were really worried. But yeah, he's been good lately, so I don't really have to talk about him anymore, which is nice. But Brian, good job for you to tell people not to worry about Ivan Provorov. You knew he'd be fine. Yay, I'm so glad he's fine. Yeah. And also, by, by the way, is it time for people to start taking Robert Hag seriously? Or is this just another Scott Mayfield situation? Like, I think if your league has weight for hits, you've got to get Robert Hag on your team. He's up to 30 hits in eight games so far to go along with five points in, what is it, seven games? Like, he's doing really well. In all your, he even has 17 shots on goal, so he's not, like, below replacement for that. Like, especially in categories like the count hits, I'd scoop up Robert Hag for sure, win that hits category, and it seems like just Philly's scoring a bunch of goals, and he's on the ice for a bunch of them, and so he's picking up points every now and then. Being on the ice as much as Hag is is a good thing for picking up points. We didn't expect, like, when we flagged him a couple weeks ago on the show as a fantastic peripherals getter, it was like, don't expect these points to last. It's been a bonus that they've lasted, but you also can't expect them to really continue at the rate they've been coming at. But if your league will value the other things he does, like throw hits and block shots, he uh, has been very good at doing that and getting opportunities to do that from his coaching staff. So, yeah, you've got to get the Hag. <laughs> I like how Patty in the chat room here is like a hag shout out. Finally, I love this guy. Wouldn't that be fun? Like, I, I, uh, uh, patrons, 
this is a challenge to you. I think this would be a lot of fun. Someone should make like a bingo card and then patrons could like listen to the show and don't, you know, don't share with Brian and I don't spoil it, figure out a way. Then you could like check off players as we talk about them and then see if you could predict who's going to, I don't know. Maybe that's a stupid game, but there's something you could consider doing. Uh, what are we talking about here? Oh yeah. Still, we're still in line changes. Like a lot of teams are switching things up. Keep your eye on Danton Heinen on the Bruins. He's up playing with Krejci and DeBrusque on the top line. And he was playing on the top power play for the two, one loss to Vancouver yesterday. Of course, on the downside, Heinen only has one assist in six games, but he's only gotten above like 16 minutes per game in his last couple of games. So maybe you could throw out those early games where he wasn't getting good deployment. At this point, though, I feel like I'm going to kind of stop paying attention to that fourth forward spot on the Boston top power play. It changes so often. There's been so many players that have been there, like Donato, like DeBrusque, Heinen. Like it's too many guys. I think like Bjork was there for a game. So don't pay too much attention to that because it's probably going to change. I feel like at this point, I kind of just want to say that the fourth Boston forward that I would want to own in fantasy right now is David Krejci. Just a solid guy. Set your watch to him. He's got six point in eight games so far. Seems to once again be on track for around a 60 point pace. Are you with me that like anyone who owns like a DeBrusque or a Donato or a Heinen hoping for great things, if they have Krejci available, they don't have to worry about positions, just like make that swap and like you could go rest easy, not have to worry about line changes and who's getting on the power play every single day? Only insofar as nobody else in your league may be interested in jumping on the other Bruins. Krejci has been good, but he's also been on the ice for six Bruins goals and has gotten a point on each of those six Bruins goals, which is a trend that won't continue. I actually think if you want to pick one, Jake DeBrusque has the best underlying offensive indicators of the group. But it's not to say I don't like Krejci and that you would be wrong to go out and add him now. He's always a good depth add that gets forgotten as someone who can score at a 55-point pace. Uh, 60 points is a stretch, though, Elon. And he's actually shooting less than ever before. Krejci usually has just under two shots per game. So far has just seven shots over eight games played, so less than one shot per game. And that effectively makes Krejci a one-category player, uh, assists being that category. So you need to keep that in mind if you're adding him. Okay, so Brian, how about now? And good for you to call me out. So I was saying, like, yeah, I grabbed Krejci. Now you're saying maybe there's reasons to expect those numbers won't hold, maybe still hold DeBrusque. I don't know. It was like Krejci's easier. But uh, I want to go to lightning round, okay? we got to close out the show. A few hot streaks and cold streaks not related to line changes like all these other ones we've been talking about over the past little while. Why is Elias Lindholm only owned in 57% of Yahoo leagues at this point? Like, What kind of leagues are these? He's now up to eight points in seven games. Actually, Calgary played today, and he didn't get a point. So he's like eight points in eight games. Still amazing. Seems to not be going anywhere off the top line. He played 20 minutes on Saturday, like the Flames are using him hard. Like today, like I said, like sure, he didn't get any points, Elias Lindholm, in the 4-1 win over the Rangers, but he was clearly on the ice. He was a plus two, right? So he was on the ice for the Goudreau two goals. He's great. I don't understand how he could still be a free agent in like any league. I, I don't even have anything to say about him. I just want to say like, I don't want to ask you anything. Just like tell people to go at him. He's great. Go at him. He's great. Yeah, there it is. Okay. Uh, you tweeted about Tyler Bertuzzi earlier in the week after he started the season with five points in six games. Brian, did you jinx Tyler Bertuzzi, uh, the winger on Detroit? He's had nothing in the two games since your tweet. Also only six shots on goal in eight games on the season, which to me is not great. So are you still into Bertuzzi? I've added him to my watch list. Like after you tweeted that how great Tyler Bertuzzi has been, I think you messaged me being like, hey, is Bertuzzi available in your leagues? I was like, ooh, I'm going to add him to my watch list. Maybe I'm going to add this guy. But since then, I've removed him from my watch list. I'm not, I'm not too interesting. I would take Gustav Nyquist if I wanted someone on Detroit who might be available for agency. Give me the seven points in eight games Nyquist over Bertuzzi. He's getting good deployment, taking shots. Seems better. I don't know. But you, you seem to like Bertuzzi, right? 
Well, I wished I'd added Bertuzzi after the first game of the year, and now I'm glad I didn't add him after the sixth game of the year. Bertuzzi was on the top line, and his last game he was down to the second line, playing with Nielsen and Athanasiu. His top line spot taken by none other than Darren Helm. (laughs) Why? What would annoy you more, Darren Helm or Justin Ablocator? Well, Justin Ablocator's on the top power play unit, which is wild. Uh, Not taking Bertuzzi's spot there, though. Bertuzzi has held his spot. Uh, Unfortunately, I guess that keeps someone like Athanasiu off of the top power play unit. Uh, Speaking of Nyquist, Elon, I I like that guy. I prefer Nyquist to Bertuzzi and also to David Krejci. I'm not going to write off Gustav Nyquist from having a 55-60 point season and a couple shots per game with the way he's been going with Larkin so far. Yeah, so if Nyquist is available in your free agency, at least add him to your watch list. Then if Detroit has a good schedule at some point, that would help you. You could add him. Another guy, while you're at it, if you're going to drop someone for Gustav Nyquist, maybe first pick up Mike Green and stash him in your IR if you can, because he's been skating, could be back in a couple of weeks from his illness. That's the last thing we've seen. Couldn't Might not be a bad stash. He's still the top power play defenseman, and Detroit's scoring some goals sometimes. In the meantime, Dennis Chalowski continues to impress two power play points yesterday versus Florida in that win, their first win of the season. But you've got to imagine that's Mike Green's spot once he comes back yeah exactly although Cholesky has been making a real good case for himself and the wings never seemed that committed to Mike Green in that position so we'll see how things sort themselves out when Green comes back but you might as well stash him and then hopefully you can keep him stashed for a few games while you watch how the Red Wings sort out their power play quarterback situation Okay, and uh, I'm not sure if we've done this yet, but just in case we haven't, I'm calling Pavel Buchnevich a snoozer at this point. He was healthy scratched earlier in the week. Then in the last game, he was on the fourth line with Vinny Letary and Ryan Spooner. That was on Wednesday versus Washington. No power play time. Today, uh, I'm looking, so Calgary beat the Rangers 4-1, to one, and Pavel Buchnevich, he played 14 minutes and a half, got some power play time. I guess so he was on the top power play, but not playing with the most amazing line mates. What, let me see here. Who was he playing with? Brett Howden and Jimmy Vc. There, there you go. Like, forget him. Okay, like if he starts getting points again, then we could talk about him again. For now, I'm ready to say, just give up on Buchnevich. Like, I could be Coach David Quinn being like the supposed great teacher that he is. I think someone said that in our Facebook group. But at this point, like I've dropped Buchnevich in all the leagues where I drafted him. And I still have him on my watch list. Like, I'm still watching him. I'm curious to see how he does over the next couple of weeks. But I don't think he's worth owning anymore. Mm, it's really hard. I have him on one team that does a 30-move cap for the season. I'm still holding Bucinevich, but I am certainly losing patience. The weird part is, again, like under, like it was under Ellen Vigneault, Bucinevich had good non-scoring numbers that showed him to be a guy who's generally making things better for the rest of his team when he's on the ice. But then he gets called out by his coach for not being uh, some kind of player that the coach wants him to be and demoted and kept in the doghouse. Uh, you know, it really depends on the depth of your league, whether or not you're going to wait on Buchnevich, but he is certainly verging on snoozer. I'm not ready to put him there uh, fully as a snoozer yet because I don't expect this deployment to last. And I want to see how high Buchnevich can bounce back from the poor deployment that he's been getting. But it is very incredibly annoying to wait and watch that situation play out while he wastes a spot on my fantasy team's roster. Yeah, I feel like if you didn't have that 30 move limit, you'd be saying, you know, it's like, yeah, in a league where it costs you to make ads and drops, then maybe hold on a little bit longer, see if he could bounce back. But I think in most leagues, you could let him go. I don't think anyone's gonna be rushing to add him anyway. So you could just be on top of him. If you want to like grab him quickly when he next scores a goal, do it then. No one's gonna add him before then, I don't think. Uh, Brian, okay, next potential snoozer I want to talk about. I do this every year and it always bites me. But I, I is it time to call Nazem Kadri a snoozer? Like he's on that amazing Leafs top power play, but he's clearly not looking like he'll 
produce much from his line three spot playing within the last game, Connor Brown and Par Lindholm. Perhaps if and when William Nylander signs, he can get someone like Kapanen back. Like Kapanen could jump to the third line and play with Kadri. But even still, like, I don't know. We're looking at a guy who has four points in nine games so far. It would be tough for me to hold him over someone like, say, a Krejci or like a Stepan. Like, you know, we're talking yeah. other centers that we've talked about. Like, you'd prefer Kadri at this point? I'd prefer Kadri to Krejci, perhaps not Stepan, although when Galchenyuk gets back, we'll have to reevaluate that whole situation. Krejci. Uh, Kre- uh, Kadri has no goals on 16 shots. Uh, 16 shots in nine games for him is bad, though. Like, that's concerning. He's generally been a two even three or more shot per game player over the last several seasons. And now he has fewer than two shots per game. That's not great. Part of that is a function of the fact that he is so far averaging just under 16 minutes of ice per game. Uh, It's his lowest averaged ice time per game since back in 2011, 2012, his third year in the league. So that doesn't bode well. It was actually, sorry, this is definitely the lowest average ice time for any season that he's actually played the full year in the league um, but it's a tale of two deployments because on the power play he's getting better deployment than he's ever seen before he's getting a greater share of his team's power play time than any other time in his career and that's helped him put up three power play points so I guess what I'm saying here is that his even strength production situation doesn't look so good and it's reason to be down on him but some of that is going to wash out thanks to some increased power play deployment that he seems to be so far capable of taking advantage of. Yeah, I don't know, Brian. Like, I feel like, yeah, he, uh, I, I, everything you're telling me, I didn't need you to look up. Like, yeah, Toronto now is running a single top power play instead of two even units, and Kadri's on that unit. So, sure, he's on the top power play getting more power play time. But even if he could get 25 power play points on the season, do you even expect, is he going to get 25 even strength points to go along with it from the third line? And like you're saying, yeah, his even strength minutes are down. Like, the doy, like if you're Coach Mike <laughs> Babcock, like, are you going to put on the John Tavares line? Are you going to put on the Austin Matthews line? Or are you going to put on the Kadri line? Like, come on. He can. Oh. He can still do better. Like his on-ice shooting percentage at five on five is less than 2%, which is atrocious. His IPP is 44%. Four points in nine games under these circumstances uh, is actually pretty okay. If you give him a couple more, he looks like a much more tolerable fantasy own. But I wouldn't blame you if you dropped him because you're tired of waiting for things to turn around. I doubt many other people are going to jump at the opportunity to nab him, especially considering the fact that if Nylander does get back into the lineup, we don't know if Kadri holds his spot on that top power play unit at all. Yeah, exactly. So, but again, like I said, I'm wrong every year. Like I end up dropping him if I draft him and then he ends up having a solid season. So we'll see. Not looking great for Nazem Kadri. And Brian, okay, we're uh, done the show here, but with the Leafs having gone quiet over the past two games, one fun thing I wanted to bring up is that Nathan McKinnon and Miko Ranton have been sneaking up the scoring rankings. And at this point, both of those guys are up to 14 points in eight games. Eight goals in eight games for McKinnon, by the way. McDavid is way down at 11 points, but he's only played six games. So McDavid would probably be there as well. I'm curious to know, like, you know, like uh, I'm saying all this related to the Leafs because Austin Matthews is way at the top there. But at this point, McKinnon and Ranton are just a couple points behind Austin Matthews. It looks like it's going to be a fun race this year. There's obviously still a few other guys we could consider. I'm curious to know, who's your current pick for second in league scoring this year after Connor McDavid? We all know you're going to take McDavid first, as you should. But I feel like I'm kind of leaning Nathan McKinnon right now. He's just looking so good. And by the way, Sidney Crosby's way down the list. He's tied for 109th right now, only five points in six games. While again, with McKinnon, we're talking about like 14 points in eight games. With like, we're talking about 14 points versus five points. Of course, like Crosby has, has like a couple games less, but still, 
Usually we say Crosby is a buy low candidate whenever he has a slow start. It's happened a couple of times over the course of us doing this podcast. But again, it's kind of hard for me to imagine Crosby breaking out so far ahead of a point per game like these other guys are placing, pacing. Like Crosby's playing with Gensel and Rust, like we talked about earlier. So like while I'm not concerned, I think Crosby's going to break 80 points easy, maybe even approach 85, 90. But I feel like McKinnon and maybe even Austin Matthews, maybe not as much like McDavid. We're talking about like potential 100 plus point guys. I don't think Crosby's there anymore. Yeah, that's fair. I would go with that way too. And I also have McKinnon penciled in as my second highest point scorer this season. I was kind of hoping Liney of all people would be the guy, but we detailed on last week's episode just why that hasn't quite come or at least started to come to fruition just yet. Uh, Miko Rantanen, uh, let's give him so much credit uh, for what he contributes to that line. They are amazing together, Rantanen and McKinnon. Rantanen now leads the NHL in assists with 12. And Elon, I can tell from your little abs rundown, well, first I can tell that you can live in Toronto because you said, what does this mean for the Leafs after discussing two guys on crazy rolls in Colorado? The other thing I could deduce from your abs rundown is that your opponent in fantasy hockey this week did not own Gabriel Landeskog, Mm. who put up six goals in three games this week, plus an assist on 14 shots, he was unstoppable, and he himself is now up to 10 points in eight games. So let's not forget him when we're talking about McKinnon and Ranton. And although if you're ranking them in terms of points, Landis Skog is the third piece. Okay, yeah, so uh, for sure. And then who was your pick for second overall in league scoring this year? McKinnon. Damn. We'll keep track. A lot of people were really excited about Austin Matthews. I was saying it related to the Leafs just because Austin Matthews is currently leading the league in points. That's why I was bringing Raleigh. If, if he's going to get caught up to, uh, I agree with you. I think that McKinnon is going to be the one to catch him. And of course, McDavid, once he gets caught up in some games. Whew, Brian, this has been a fun, massive show. We've talked about so many players. If you listened all the way through, tweeted us, let us know. Let us know that you made it through and that you liked the show. Or if you didn't like the show, we'd love to hear your feedback. You can tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. If you did like the show, you want to help us out, five-star review on iTunes or on whatever service that you listen to us from. We'd very, very much appreciate that. That goes a long way to help the show. Costs you nothing. If you do have a couple extra bucks to spare every week, you know, like five bucks a month, you can become a patron of Keeping Carlson and we're going to give you a ton back in return. Our Facebook group is rocking right now. Like people are asking advice questions and more importantly, answering everyone's advice questions at a great rate. Like I really love the patrons. Thank you so much to everyone who's been active there. Brian and I are also there trying to give our advice to every question that we see. So it's just a really fun time over in the patron only Facebook group. That's just one of the many perks you get for being a patron of Keeping Carlson for just $5 a month. You also get the monthly patron cast with Brian. I guess we're going to have to schedule soon, probably next week. Uh, you get show notes, everything we talked about, like a lot of other stuff you get on the wait list for the cupful. We'll try to get you in if there are any inactive teams. We've been having a lot of fun there. Uh, yeah, check it out. Keepingcarlson.com slash patron if you're interested in more information. You could always try it out. If you don't like it, you could leave, right? You're not stuck. You don't have to sign a year contract to become a patron of Keeping Carlson. With that, Brian, let's cue the outro music. And why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our newest ones, Michael Y, Keith V, Edwin Z, Sam G, Eric S, Toot S, Josh W, and Brendan P. Thank you all for joining us, and uh, we hope uh, we'll have even more company, as Elon just said. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Natural Statric, Corsica Hockey, at Charting Hockey, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Yahoo. All right. Thanks very much, Brian. Great job, as always. And I will talk to you again in a week. Join us live, 8 p.m. Keep it girls on the comp slash live. Until then, keep
keep on keeping Carlson, even I, though Elon is disillusioned. I mean, it's not like I'm saying I'm going to drop him, okay? <laughs> anyway, yeah. Yeah, you think you can trade him. We'll see. Bye. <laughs>